Just got to deal with it. Oh, I should. Oh, there's a delay. There we go. I fixed it. No more delay. As live as a pre-recorded podcast can be. Tom delay. Tom delay. Yeah, he's the senator or something. I don't know. Did anybody check that microphone down there? Why does my microphone keep moving? Because you didn't screw it in. Righty tighty, lefty loosey. <laughs> you ever heard that? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So this weekend, oh, this is the new Utah podcast, by the way. Um, Episode ninety-eight. We are two episodes away from one hundred. I don't know if we should finish. Do we have guests scheduled out that far? What are you doing? Yeah, Stop well, you set your shit on my headphones. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> calm down over there. Such, Jeez. such anger for such a little person. Uh, do, do, we, do we call them little people or just Brie? Anyway. Uh, yes, we are bucked out that far. Damn it. Can way, we just, way can we just tell them no? I know we don't have anyone for 100, so maybe we just skip it. Like skip a week, make that be our first week that we skip, and then do 101 and just be like, hey, it you guys. It can't be 101, though. It'd still be 100. No, I'll upload a blank file for 100. Why would you do that? <laughs> you can just upload the bootleggers dance and I can just play over and over and over again for an hour and 45 minutes. Does that mean no poppers? <laughs> I think people would hate us if we did that. <laughs> no poppers and cake? No, we can sell poppers. I don't I don't know if Jess is actually going to make a cake, but we'll see. I have hopes. Costco have makes hopes. cakes. Yeah, but they're not just cakes. <laughs> I have hopes. Wow, you want a Costco cake over mine? No. Well, I understand how yeah. our friendship is right now. <laughs> Okay. No cake is good. Cake is uh, really bad. Uh, trying to do a little bit of dieting these it's days. It's our myself. hundredth. I'm pretty sure you could have a little. Oh spice. yeah, I'll eat cake. Don't worry. I'll eat a lot of cake. <laughs> do they make sugar-free cake? I'd probably be no, nasty if they did. I'm sure they do. They make all sorts of cake. But sugar-free? Yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? I don't think it would be great, but yeah, you could use alternative sweeteners in it. I'm sure. It might be chemically different, but you'll get cancer. Okay, what is that? Tapping. Is that you? No, that was me. Just oh, hi, Mike. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? It was like that. I don't know. Yeah, it was that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, no, I'm sure they do. But here's the thing, like sugar-free, most of the time the calorie counts in sugar-free isn't really different than right. sugared because they replace the sugar with other things, not just artificial sweeteners, but typically other fats and oils and things like that. So it's really not better just to go sugar-free so and those things are tend to be just as addictive as sugary things unless you're trying to be off of sugar just eat the sugar uh, yeah if you're trying to be off of sugar because you're diabetic or something or don't want to be addicted to sugar <laughs> which is hard because i mean everything has sugar in it literally everything like if you go down the salad dressing aisle oh yeah it's got sure every one of them has sugar in them. Every damn one. So does all the granola. Course. If you look at granola, yeah. granola is to, the worst. Trying yeah. to find granola without sugar in There's it actually some at the farmer's market that is really, really awesome. Yeah, we found some when we were looking. We found a, a brand that does it, uh, a Harmon's. Um, I don't remember what brand it was, but um, but no, it's not, the, it's not the sugar. So it's fine. Eat sugar when you eat sugar. Just uh, be smart about what you eat. I don't know. I'm not trying well, to there's, be there's sugar in podcast. everything. <clears throat> Eat honey. It's better than sugar. That's true. And uh, when you get your bees. They haven't said yet, but it's got to be soon. It's usually the f- end of April, first part of May. Suppo- Last year was the exact day Josh moved, so I didn't help move. Okay, so, but it's supposed <laughs> to be, it's supposed to be. That's okay. I did your share for you. Uh, hey. It's supposed to be like 70 degrees on Thursday and s- or on Wednesday and f- snowing on Friday. Yep. So hopefully not this weekend. Yeah. 
Like, I don't understand. That's what that. happened last year, remember? I got yeah. them, and like, the following week, or, or two weeks later, we had that. Uh, yeah, place. we were really worried about it. Well, and that's when all my plants died, so I'm really worried about planting anything now. That's why it's in the house. Yep. But if you do put it outside, just watch the weather and cover it if it's going to be a colder night. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to take them all outside and let them get accustomed to being outside for a little while, too, because they're supposed to do that. So, Like you do with pets and small kids. Yeah. Just leave them outside for a few hours, day, two days, week, and then put them in the ground. <laughs> just like kids. Jennifer knows. Small animals. Totally know. <laughs> uh, anyway, um... I don't know. We, we got stuff happened this weekend. You were going to say something remember. about this weekend. This I last was, weekend. but I don't. You started. I worked on my house a lot. Oh. Yeah, I, right uh, on at a soccer game. I, eh, it wasn't that bad. So here's the thing. When you spend all day Saturday afternoon in the pouring rain in your backyard fixing your fence, or at least debriding your fence from the vine that grows on it, and then cutting all the chain link away from the old chain link and pulling out bad poles because some jackass in the winter decided to drive up onto the curb, above your two-foot-high retaining wall. Into your backyard. Into your backyard and smash your, your fence into your yard. And then leave half their car behind. Oh, my God. I found so many parts of cars inside I'm surprised of all I of didn't it. get caught, though. Yeah, I don't understand how they didn't. Um, <laughs> there was... there were Maybe there the car blew up. Side view mirrors and, like, all of their skid plate and, like, big chunks of their vehicle were in my yard. You know, if they'd have had a license plate, it would have fallen off, but... It was a stolen car, so yeah. they didn't Well, have I mean, clearly, they, they were not uh, upstanding citizens. <laughs> so if it was just an accident, they probably would have stayed. But uh, as soon as they thought my neighbor was calling the cops, they were out. Like, peace out, threw their bumper, literally threw their bumper in the back of their car and somehow managed to drive it off of the retaining wall with, and turn it with around. With flat tires. Weren't the tires flat? Oh, yeah, they were popped. At least one of them. At least one of them was popped. Well, good turns. From what I understand, they drove into West Jordan, so... From like the neighborhood across the street, K Town to W Town. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole block street. And you just got to cross. It's not even a block. You just got to cross the street. <laughs> <laughs> they pushed it. They all jumped out and pushed it. <clears throat> so, and I'm sure it went into a garage, and and then you know, you know, cops are going to find it. It's not like they're going to investigate. It's not like they're going to go to a body yeah. shop and be like, "Did you get a car with a ton of damage to it?" Yeah. Well, yeah, we're a body shop. That's all we do. <laughs> so anyway, I did all of that in like the pouring rain. I was completely soaked all day Saturday. It wasn't pouring when you were doing it. Oh, yeah, it was. And there were I, some points when it was. And then it slowed it down just... for a little bit towards the end. But while I was doing that, Brie was tiling the bathroom. The, the shower, uh, just the, the shower, shower specifically. It's looking good. Thanks. It's taking some ingenuity as we go because it's not perfect. <laughs> Because that house is so not perfect. So, but it's it's coming along. Think of how much better it already looks than what it was. It does. It actually starts to look like a bathroom again. Yeah. So hopefully it'll be uh, the floor, all the floor will get tiled. If you time it right, you'll finish it just in time for the kid to leave. And then she won't use it. Well, we're I'm trying, trying to, to time it so Kat, when Cassie comes home, I don't have to share my shower with two other girls. Oh, good point. That's already a pain with one because she I, gets water all over our Does bathroom. she still eat a sandwich? In the shower. No. Not that I know of. I have not seen... And we haven't <laughs> bought any gummies, yeah, and so there's I no I haven't wrappers. seen, like, fruit snack wrappers or anything in our bathroom. But she... I asked her, how do but you... But she get, uses our hamper, and so now our hamper gets too full before the end of the week. I'm like, how do you... full of wet clothes and stuff? Or, oh, yeah. She oh, I, we told you about the bleach incident, right? 
So she got something on something, and so she bleached she it out. She didn't get something on something. She was cleaning her white shoes, and she decided oh, yeah. instead of to do it like on the tile or and she on did the patio, bleach onto a towel. she got a towel and laid it in the hallway, and then she took that <laughs> towel and laid it on top of my hamper where my jeans were sitting on top of. And bleached her jeans. Because there was a towel with just straight bleach on it sitting on it. And then the bleach towel just went right in the hamper, right? Well, no, thank goodness. Because that would have ruined, like, all of my work dress clothes and everything. No, luckily she just threw it on top, but... Yeah, not good. She got a big lecture about how I had a handful of lip gloss incidences where the kids... Oh, yeah, we have lip... Oh, that happens all the the time. oil-based lip gloss that go in the laundry and then everything you have is ruined. No, it's not. You can get it out with Dawn. Yeah. Oh, your husband used to do the laundry when he had problems? No. Dawn like the soap. Oh, I thought you meant you get that out with Dawn. Just give it to him. He can take care of it. I just, I just now got why you said that. Oh my gosh. That was, uh, yeah. that was pathetic. No, <laughs> I scrubbed it out with a toothbrush and Dawn. Well, I found every oily spot and scrubbed it out with toothbrush our, and Dawn. Our washing machine now is pretty cool because uh, the almost never does chapstick make its way to the dryer. <clears throat> Where it really causes the havoc. It stays in the washer and our little washer trap catches it. But the problem is, is it still gets on your clothes in the washer and then you dry it onto your clothes. Yeah, maybe. But I saved every single, almost every single thing that got the the green lips, the, the green chapstick on it. No. That was the worst. I saved almost everything. Yeah, I lost like three shirts to that chapstick. Yeah, but there were like a million things in that load of water. <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't tell me about the bleach. I don't remember that one. Yeah, that was recent. That was recent for that sure. That was within the last, well, was it this, sh- it was this year. It was this year. It was like within the last six months. Post-Christmas. Um, anyway, so that, I, I realized the questions are endless. Why wouldn't you go out on the back patio or in the garage or something? Because or even just on the fucking tile. <laughs> I'm a 17-year-old girl. I don't know how to live life. And I told her I hope that it ate her shoes. <laughs> did she dilute it or did she just pour it right no, out? No, she just was pouring it in a cap. She had no idea how to use it. So that means like the next day she starts walking and they just shatter around her feet. They actually are just fine. Yeah. But I was hoping that they would ruin. She just, she just, that's, you know, 17 year old teenager. They don't, the world revolves around them. That is true. And that's it. I, I keep, so she left a bunch of crap in the sink and, and Chris is like, he's lecturing her and I just called her over and I'm like you know your roommates are gonna hate you because that's the other thing so she's so spoiled so you just we just had a little uh FaceTime with her right before this this podcast began where she wants to buy a $270 prom dress she didn't like my suggestion that that would no. need another hundred dollars in alterations right. so anyway she wanted a single room and so we put in for a single room and wouldn't you know it she got a single room in the new dorms. So it went from $800 a semester to $2,200 a Holy semester. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, you got to understand these old dorms are they're, I mean, they're total piles of shit. Like the ones we stayed in? I think they're worse. And they have all outside doors. So it's just nothing really with the worse outside. than the old ones at the U. Oh, the old, yeah. the, the ex like army barracks. Yeah. Nothing between yeah. her and the, other, and the outside world a separate door. I, I didn't like that. But now I'm paying $22 to have her house. You know, at our house, there's nothing between her and the outside world except for our front door, right? And stairs. Or a garage and door. And us. And chopper. Or a back door. Yeah, and chopper. <laughs> 10 pound chihuahua. <laughs> well, no, but, shit to but how, how often have people gotten into the house without us knowing it? Never. Yeah, pretty much. That's not true. That Cassie, is not true. Cassie has figured out people a way. People come home and the dog doesn't necessarily bark unless he's awake. 
He doesn't wake up from dead sleep usually. He does in the middle of the night. But Cassie's figured out how to get home at like 3 in the morning and not make the dog wake up. I still don't know how she does it. I don't either. Because the garage door is the giveaway. That's mm-hmm. what Because he gets all on the alert, and then when he hears the garage, the man door open from Does the garage. Does she go through the backyard and through the... There's no way to really go through a backyard. Everything's hmm. not right. Everything's not right. <laughs> well, you've, you know our, you know our, our make, make up, make up, our, our made up fence on the one side, yes. on the east side. Mm-hmm. Um, you, that, you, it's, yeah, it's not workable. And then the gate on the other side is barely held together. I mean, Chris would screw in one screw and a board would literally fall out next to it. <laughs> so it's one of the things we're going to fix when we fix the fence this summer. Those are those dorms. Those are the old dorms. Those are they're, sweet. They're, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. This is how they're like so, six. Well, and they don't have closets. They just have like armoire or uh, what are they called? Everything wardrobes. Yeah, just wardrobes. Well, there's a bathroom between two different units. So one you know, bathroom. So there's people. four bathrooms in the center and eight rooms around it. So she has her own bedroom, but she still shares. No. One. So she actually wanted to stay in these older dorms and, and have the one room because it would have been a really big room. Oh, or it was the one room she wanted, but you told her no because there was only a well, door no. between her and the world. No. No, they just didn't They just didn't offer, like, when she... There's not a lot of housing down at DSU yet, like dormitory housing. So there's not enough for the whole student body. And so most people live in the apartments off campus. So they assigned everything, and she got a... She and got she a, got a double room. And I the, said, guess what? That's life. She's like, that's not fair. Cassie got a single room. I said, well... That's life. You can call the housing department and see if they can put you on a list to get a single. But, you know, as they open up, if people bail out. But that's life. It's, it's, but Cassie got one. How come I don't get to get one? So, well, Cassie also paid for her car with her job that she had for years. How'd you get your car? <laughs> <laughs> and so we went on our way to Vegas. We stopped in and we we put her on a waiting list but she we specifically said she wanted the Nissan single room but when the single room no, came open no she said to the girl any single room uh, I just want a single maybe. and if I can't get a single I'm fine where I'm at oh okay so anyway it just happened that one in the new dorm opened up gotcha. so and it's it's nice I mean it's not as nice as Cassie's but it's newer than Cassie's and she has she'll have a balcony and they supply a TV which is kind of cool <laughs> Do they get them from the DI? The ones that people no, they're flat own. screen. Oh. They're all TVs are cheap now, Jeremy. I know you haven't bought one in twenty years. <laughs> they're really cheap now. <laughs> but yeah, so she'll just be sharing her bathroom with the two other girls, and but so she'll have her own room. This has been college preparatory talk, brought to you by the New Utah Podcast. We're talking about Utah well, schools. We'll I have guess. to have Jeremy talk about his daughters because his daughter gets her own room and her own bathroom. She's, in, she's they're they're like apartments. Yeah. She's staying in on campus housing at Weber. Yeah, yes, it's... Is it not through the university? It is through the university. It's like across the street from campus, but it is still considered campus. Okay, I think so it's, it's like still those, university it's, housing. Yes. I think it's like those apartments that are by DSU that you can possibly get into. Yeah, they're like an actual apartment. They're student housing. Right, there, but I so. mean, it's through DSU, and then there's apartments that are student housing that aren't through DSU. Oh, which, yeah. by the way, she finally had her walkthrough last weekend. Yeah, oh, I amazing. was asking Heather about it. And she's excited, so that's good. However, my other one, the 16-year-old who thinks that's where she wants to go to, came back and was like, that place sucks. Yeah. Tell her to go to SUU. And SU I'm you. like, well, that's exactly why we sent you. 
Yeah, you've got to go. Well, at least the daughter that's going is happy. She was excited because she got to see the apartment dorms. She wandered around campus. So what does Maya want to do? She doesn't know. (laughs) She wants wants to sing as a matter of what. You know where she should go is Utah Valley University because they don't have enough students there yet. Yeah, we've made lots of suggestions. She doesn't know, but... She has to visit the campuses. That's the thing. We'll see. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. So, yes, luckily, my oldest was excited. But the second who was, that's where she wanted to go. I was like, that place sucks. I can't. She, yeah. she wanted to go to the same place as her sister. That's weird. To be honest with you, that's why. Because uh, Sean was like, I won't even consider SUU. I won't even visit the campus. I'm not even going to apply. So, Chris still, I think, submitted something. But, uh, yeah, because I keep getting emails. I did not submit. I submitted a request for information, but oh. not any kind of actual application. But anyway, so but she was like, money. she's like, I won't even look. Those cost money. I'm not going to waste if kids not interested. And in she's been on the campus several times because of Cassie. She just, she won't even consider it. She wants to be away from her sister. I get it. She wants her own but she only wa- But she's only going to be 45 minutes away from her sister, yeah. which is, I mean, let's, let's be real. Anywhere in the valley where you're driving, if you live here in Salt Lake, is That's can be 45 minutes nothing. away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my commute into work every morning is 30 minutes. So on a good day, yeah. Jeremy, did you do anything this weekend? Uh, you already fixed your roof. Got so the lawn equipment prepped. Yeah. I got the, oh, for the mowing, mowing stuff. Yeah. So I got the mowers and how long did it take your girls to put all that duct tape on that lawnmower? Oh, a Saturday. I think. What? So, so didn't you notice his lawnmower so when we went to go? When we started doing the mowing five years ago, this actually be the sixth year. Um, so my kids used to beg for money and I said, I'm not going to give you money, but I'll create a way for you to make money. So we got mowers and we do a little mowing thing. Um, but one of the agreements was the girls could decorate their mowers. So we got mm-hmm. the duct tape with the, with the <laughs> designs on it. And so they duct taped the snot out of the mowers, but that way they were their own. <laughs> oh, well. You didn't notice that? No. I'm not How do you not that? notice that? Why, why would I look at his lawnmowers? Because they're right there in front of you when we walked over to his house. I don't need to look at his lawnmowers. And the tile saw. Yeah. My attention was directed at what we were there for. (laughs) Not ancillary purposes. So, Jess, uh, what about some events? Oh, I need my... Sorry. You're not even ready. You're just (laughs) over there all flustered. You were... No, I was going to burp into the mic. She was fangirling. (laughs) (laughs) She was doing what I did last week and fangirling. I was trying to get ready, but it didn't work. So so Jess has... uh, We we just got done interviewing uh, Barry Hancock, B-Dog, from uh, Utah Warbird Adventures. Um, You'll hear that later in the show, um, like you always do with our interviews. But uh, it was... That dude is passionate. It was awesome. Sure. We have a lot of passionate people lately. Like, we're like, on a roll. Like, his his level of passion. I, I think the other person that I, I think had uh, as much passion, um, time and place. What's her name? Melinda. 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 I thought that's what it was, but I didn't want to say it out loud and be wrong. Um, <laughs> you better not, because we'll be at her shop in a couple weeks. Melinda so and, and, and Jen. And I think oh, yeah. those those are probably the three most passionate people that we've talked to. And Farmer Luke. I'm, yeah, yeah, Farmer yeah, Luke. Was. Um, but I think in a, a in a different way. way. Yeah, I mean, like he was really passionate. But this I got to take a picture. You guys didn't remind me to take a picture. You're all fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, just put a picture up of an airplane, <laughs> like a like a 747. No way, man! They get some rad pictures of him flying that T6. It's I bet. I bet. Pretty sweet. So and I am really quiet over here. You want so. events, huh? I do. I do want events. 
well. First and most importantly is Saturday is opening day for the Utah women's soccer the Royals was their first game. I'm so sick of that song. Oh my God! Shut up! <laughs> I'm so over so that it's, song. So they 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 play it on every commercial for <gasps> Rachel Platten is going to be there because she's going to be there performing. Yeah. But but they, that commercial plays every single break. Anytime and it plays the same piece of the song, and that's the only part of the they song play that it at I the know. Stadium. They play it like a million times in the commercials and the games that are away. Like they <laughs> are. I don't know if they've sold out of their tickets or they not. They have played the shit out of that. And they must I'm have paid her some royalties and they want to get their money's worth. Well, she's performing. Well, I know, yeah. but I mean, to use it in their ads. So you don't want me to be like, this is your event song. No. no. I'll <laughs> just turn your mic off. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. I'll skip interruptions. They're even nicely written this time, so you might even be able to read them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's hear them. Other than the RSL Royals game. <laughs> uh, Folk Hogan on Friday is going to be in Ogden. So if you're up that way, of course, you want to catch them at the Lighthouse. Um, Amy's Home Cooking. We actually talked to her over the weekend at the Farmer's Market. And I was like, we need to come to one of your cooking classes. And she was like, yes, you do. So the spices that we buy, she has classes mm, like once a month or something like that. And the one on the 15th is a brunch class. Yeah, and they're they, cooking classes, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's brunch. They're going to be doing um, Bloody Marys because she has her Well, this is the Bloody one we Mary talked spices. to Jen and Derek about. You is did? It? And she's doing like uh, like salmon. Salmon. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Alaska. We talked yeah. to Jen and Derek about it. Nice. Last Alaska, so Alaskan salmon cakes. They're going to do a spring mix and then the Grand Marnier soaked berries for dessert. So, so. are they going to actually cut up the spring mix or are they just going to open up a bag and throw it on a plate? I've never been to one of her classes, so maybe. I love I love her spices. <laughs> we, had steak, we had steak last night with a little bit of her spices on it. It's I good put, stuff. I put it in my vegetables for my omelets. It's delicious. I put it in my face. I put it in everything. <laughs> Ramen noodles, chicken broth. It's amazing in everything. <laughs> Anyways, um, because it's Friday the 13th, uh, Fear Factory is opening. I have not seen anything else from anyone else. I promise you that Nightmare I'm sure that they are. Will be open I'm well. sure I think that I they got, are. Yeah, I think I got something in the in my email. Yeah, I saw something too. I guarantee they will. Nightmare on 13th is the name is literally for Friday the 13th. Really? And because it's on 13th South. <laughs> also known as Ballpark Drive or some bullshit because it's bought Spring Mobile Ballpark. Is it? Is it Smith's Ballpark now? Yeah, who knows? It, is. it hasn't been Spring Mobile since that company. <laughs> it was any. Franklin Ballpark forever. Franklin Covey. Franklin yeah. Covey. For the longest time. Yeah, but people don't buy day planners anymore. Yeah, how, <laughs> how the fuck are they still in business? How is Franklin Covey still in business here? Probably because of the Seven Habits of Highly Successful I think they actually. I, I own that book. They actually third too. party like everything, so they distribute for all kinds of other people. Oh. But yeah, I mean that was their thing, right? They were all the that day planners. Thing, and all I had the, a day planner forever. All of the refill. I had a day timer, though, not a Franklin stuff. Cubby. They had to do a good job of, like, foreseeing that coming. Like, you know, because they would be out of business if they didn't well, see Well, I know that. they had the some calendars the, are still made. But it's they had like some of the obsolete. first, quote, unquote, tablets. They had some of the very first, what you'd consider. Well, like the Palm Pilot type stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you got to think, like, they saw Palm Pilots and they're like, all right, we got to figure out a plan to stay in business because the shit we're doing is not going to last. You can go to Savers. There's mountains of them. (laughs) Mountains. One more sporting event this weekend. The Falcons, who are our women's football team, has their opener at Cottonwood Heights High School at 3 p.m. 
and they are national champions. So it's 10 bucks to a game. It's super fun. Apparently they played last week and they like just fucking beat the shit out of whoever. Two weekends ago. And I think it was in Nevada. Yeah. It was like like 6 million to zero. Basically. Just like that. 6 million. (laughs) They score a lot more. Sounds like an RSL. (laughs) Points are worth more. Unlike the WNBA, women's pro football is much higher scoring than men's pro football. Uh And it's probably more And it's not supposed to be. Yeah. I know. Football score should be low. I think they should be low. Okay. (laughs) All right, moving on. Well, it's not like they're in the hundreds, like basketball scores is what I mean. Sometimes combined they are. (laughs) Combined? (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Like combined with what? Each other. 50 to 49 or something. Well, I'm just going to keep the sports thing going because the next weekend you are going to want to avoid downtown because guess what time of year it is. I Basketball time? Salt Lake Marathon time oh. already again. Can you believe I, it? I don't care. Pass. As long as it doesn't affect me, I don't care. I feel like we were just talking well, about saying that this, though. People, like, right, exactly. The map of yeah. where you can't go and so what So don't go downtown go on the 21st. Is that a Saturday? Yes. Then I won't be. 7 a.m. Yeah. I don't go downtown very often. That's I go downtown every damn day. Well, I'm just saying for anybody else <laughs> listening. I avoid it when it, I can. It's not, it's not the marathon that gets me. It's when they do the tour to Utah and they freaking circle my block and I can't go. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. For three hours. The very first year that they did it, they were out by me. So I totally understand. And there's nothing out by you. We just drove past out by you and it's like there's <laughs> nothing there. Some tumbleweed. There's a lot more than there used to be. There's still nothing there. There's a I smith where I live. Um, a couple other events next weekend, which are super rad at Caputo's on 15th and 15th, not the one downtown. They are doing a distiller series. And this one is with uh, our good buddy, James from Sugar House. Right. Every time, and I, every time I hear the word Caputo, all I can think of is the character in Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never seen it. So it's awesome. It's irrelevant. It's not my jam. How do you know you've never seen it? I'm too busy. There's a transgendered person and there's gay people in it, Jessica. <laughs> that should that's an automatic Jess has to watch it. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, so he is doing the series. If you want to do it without alcohol, it's twenty five bucks. If you want to do it with, it's forty five. And uh we'll link to that this week just so the tick um, you don't want the tickets to sell out because James is awesome and he's super passionate about he is cool. Good his guy. product. And um, I can't remember his, who's the distiller that works for him? I can't remember his name, but he'll be there as well. Can't remember. Anyways, also on the 24th is Meet Cider Maker. So um, I talked about how we all of us doing the one with Talisman Brewery. Mm-hmm. They're doing one with our good buddies in Mount West Cider. Nice. So um, that's on the 24th. We all have as at uh, Trolley Square and... We'll also post information to that. And guess what? Uh, Melinda's classes are back at time and place. And the first one that she's doing is making moss arrangements. But I'm pretty much obsessed with moss, I have decided. It's I, pretty much amazing. I want to go just to show her the, the moss from Bellagio that they've got. You should show her when well, we when go. Well, when we have our interview thing, you yeah. can show her because we are not bringing any plants into our house. Yeah, I was going to say, I, <laughs> the downside is I feel embarrassed to walk in there since I've killed both plants that she's provided me with. 
I'm pretty sure I'm pretty she sure understands I that. Because so. I killed the bamboo, too. And then one, one last <laughs> event is uh, the 20th. Uh, through the 22nd is the Cambodian New Year. Yay! And so Chinda, who so was on our show. I don't know. I don't it's, think they do like a... It's two. It's two. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like hundreds. It's curious. Anyways, it's, it's, it's really cool. I went last year and it's really neat to just go in the temple and just kind of two. sit and, and watch the family prayers and um, they have food. Chinda and his dancers will be there. He's been working really hard on all of the costuming and it's amazing as always. So if you want a really cool cultural experience, um, you can head to West Valley uh, at 3325 West, 3800. You could probably just leave that statement right where it is if you want a cultural experience, go to West Valley. <laughs> I don't think you need an address. The no, end. you need to get to the temple. <laughs> Come on. Anyways, all the fun. All. all the fun. Both cultural experiences in West Valley. Go or to the temple. The so <laughs> The closed Kmart. The where closed the Kmart with is. a dead body in a gutter. <laughs> yeah, how weird is that? That's yeah, not that weird. It is weird. No, it's clearly a body dump. Like, Look, if I'm going to dump a body in a storm drain, why not do it in the back of a derelict department store building that's never coming back? <laughs> like, that, the body was so disfigured, they couldn't tell what sex it was. It's a lady. Was. They couldn't tell what sex it Dude, was it until like they performed lady. the auto, uh, autopsy because it was so completely distorted. I mean, it's not like CSI where they're like, it's a woman because its pelvis is big and fat. No, that's probably how they figured it out during the autopsy. Probably. They're like, oh, wait, we got all the swelling to go down in the water to go in. There's no <laughs> penis. <laughs> like, that's probably how they figured it out. That's a dead giveaway every time. But they could. The fact that they couldn't tell there wasn't a penis on it there, like until after the autopsy occurred, that's what's crazy to me. That tells you how distorted that body must have been. It's a to water. Kmart. And what about the people behind the Kmart? Because there's houses back behind that. Did they not smell that? I'm sure there's no. Not in a yeah. You wouldn't. That's not exactly high income housing behind that Kmart. I don't think. <laughs> okay, stop slamming West Valley. I could go yeah, back to Slammer. Shut up. I know. <laughs> but I grew up in West Valley. That's only a couple blocks from the Kearns Liquor Store. No, I was watching that. I was watching that that uh, that Compton documentary last night on uh, just on some of the people in Compton that have come out of it, and they were they they did a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff with the game. Uh, and they talked about the Williams sisters, and uh, I just kept thinking, man, that's kind of like Kearns. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Except for what has come out of Kearns, Nathan Chen and that speed skater girl. What about that kid at, at Kearns High School that just got some award that nobody else has gotten or something? Straight A award? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. They don't give those out to just anybody in Kearns High School. <laughs> they don't give them out to no. anybody in Kearns High School. Not just anybody. They don't give them out to anybody. <laughs> You guys are so mean to me. <laughs> Have you seen the current test scores? <laughs> yes. What did we threaten the girls with? And they're like, we don't want to go to school. Why Diego sucks? What do we threaten them with? We'll send, we'll send you to Kearns. We'll send you to the public high school you should be going to. They're like, no, never mind. We're good. Like, Sean had a friend. Sean had a, one of her friends that was in private school with her, and she was failing, and her mom's like, I'm not going to pay for private school if you're not going to put in the effort so you can go to public school. Straight-A student. <laughs> Yep, wow. she was a straight-A student for like two and a half, and almost three years. she was failing out of private school. Yeah. So that kind of gives you a, a... That wasn't Kearns High, though. No, that was uh, Hunter, I think. Yeah. So Hunter, by the way, scores higher on test scores. I was going to say Hunter's Kearns. better than Kearns. Right, but apparently um, 
it's still not as good as the Catholic school system. So <sighs> anyway, so talking about dead bodies, Buddha is fixed. <laughs> 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 well, it was jacked up. That downtown Buddha was all messed up and it's fixed now. It's really cool. Did you see how they fixed it the way that oh, they did with the it. cracks in it? Yeah. Why he did that? It yeah. reminds me of Japanese pottery, um, but they put the cracks in it to represent it being broken in the first did place. Did they figure out who did the vandalism? No, because they didn't really have anything to, to figure it out. So they did also add security. Uh, so there's cameras and stuff now. So they can, I think there's cameras. Buddha's got a bodyguard. Uh, I don't think there's a bodyguard. That's there. a band name. <laughs> Buddha's God. Buddha's God. Buddha's a God. A bodyguard. bodyguard. Uh, okay. Spilled also, B-D-A. speaking of more dead people, um, did I you see dead people? Okay, so in in Salt Lake, the the Our Lives Matter was that what it was? Our Lives Now. I don't remember what the movement was called. What was it? Come on, someone. What was the high school kids movement? What's it called? Oh, uh, 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 the March, the March, the March. It was not called the March. No, but I'm trying to, I'm brainstorming to make my brain work. Um, um, crap. Fuck, you guys are worthless. The one that, you know what happened in DC, the kids all just marched. I want to say it was our, our, our lives matter. No. Our schools now. Our children now. Uh, anyway, so since because I've completely fucking Jessica, spaced you're so good name. at this. Why can't you remember? This is like they need the theme a really song. crappy day. So the my brain is defunct. Usually you remember these things and you're like, oh, it's this. March for our lives. Yes. I didn't even have to Google uh, that. See, it was too March. Hey, you need to calm down. You're spiking over here. It was I'm like March. really low because I'm on this weird mic and you're spiking. It was March. All right, I'm turning you down. That's it. It, it was March. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so the March for Our Lives uh, movement. So uh, a bunch of kids here had requested town halls with their representatives. Uh, so that's our senators and our local congressmen. So Orrin Hatch, Chris Stewart, uh, Mia Love. All the people um, who don't Mike care about Lee, you. Uh, what's the other guy's name? I can't ever remember the guy. Chris, Chris Stewart. Curtis. No. John Curtis. The, John Curtis. There we That's go. the guy I can't ever remember. Anyway, so none of them would do it. None of them would sit down with these kids and meet in any kind of, they don't uh, care. of fashion. I don't think it's because they don't care. I think it's because ever since Jason Chaffetz Town Hall, they're all scared shitless to show their faces in public. Um, they're going to be mean. Yeah, George Soros is going to pay these kids to egg us uh, or something. I don't know. But anyway, so they decided to hold their own town hall, uh, and they brought cardboard cutouts. So the big freestanding cardboard cutouts of all of our Congress critters. I don't even know how they got those. That's pretty that's, rad. That's pretty cool that they did that. And Someone's then, parents probably works at a sign shop or something. And then probably. on top of that, they, they did some other stuff. They took some pictures, and they did some demonstration photos where they all laid down like they were dead. For six, six minutes. Yeah, six minutes and 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why. I don't it's, remember that. It's the time that it took for Parkland. Oh, okay. Did you not know that? There's been lots of that time frame for lots of things. Okay. Anyway, so I just thought that was really cool uh, that they kind of staged their own uh, pseudo town hall uh, to try and hold these people accountable that don't want to be held accountable. Uh, and you better believe that things like them refusing to uh, hold town halls with these kids, hold discussions with these kids locally, um, they're going to vote. They're going to vote. Yeah, keep in mind, these kids are the ones voting next time. These are these are your high school seniors that are going to be 18 when November rolls around, just like our daughters. Uh, and they are going to vote in the election cycle. And uh, if They are not going to vote for you. No, no, <laughs> they're not. 
<laughs> Wouldn't it be poetic justice if, if like, the very last day Orrin Hatch dies in office? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there might, were super funny tweets about him might, the other day. Already, you know, dead. Strom, oh, yeah, that's right. Strom Thurmond died in office, and I'm, I've compared Orrin Hatch to Strom Thurmond more than once. That's right. We've had that discussion. They're doing the Weekend of Bernie's thing with him right now. Oh, yeah. No, That's no. why somebody I, accidentally took his glasses I think he off. Has, I think he has good days and bad days because he was in that hearing with Mark Zuckerberg today, and I listened to him speak to Zuckerberg. And it was kind of mindless babble, but he was clearly there. He was present. I just don't think he understood anything that he was talking he's about. He's like, there's an internet? What is that? Do I catch fish in it? What? And he's like, oh, you're on my phone? My grandkids have Facebooks. <laughs> it's a fad. So I don't know why we're all here. Did you yeah. bring your book? No, his grandkids don't have Facebook. Oh, his shit. kids don't have Facebook. I don't remember who it was, but it was it was one or two guys after him. Uh, they had an aide behind them with a big old ass poster board with a bunch of blown up fake tweets or fake right. Facebook. No, things. they were. It was it was Mark Zuckerberg's apologies over the years. Yeah, and he's he's like, do you recognize any of these stories? He's like, can't say that I do. <laughs> But it was, it, was, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of interesting. So anyway, uh, talking about more dumbass white people, uh, down in San Juan County. Um, <laughs> so this is actually really cool. So if you I think we talked about this before. Wait, but what? They unfairly favor Navajos? So, oh, how can, how can oh, that ever that happen? That's never so happened. What that can't happen for the, thousands of years. <laughs> are you done? <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. They, they didn't print the pictures, and I know Jeremy and Bree don't look at the articles ever, so they can't see the pictures. I'm working at work where oh. I have to get, get money to pay for my children to go to college. No, you don't. They can take out loans. <laughs> it is not my fault that the pictures didn't print. No, it's print. not. It's not. But Just so I, you know. the reason I'm kind of bummed is it, it shows the old map and the new map. So San Juan uh, County. Um, basically, the, the Navajo Nation took uh, San Juan County to uh, court and said, these district lines are bullshit. We do not have the majority in the county like we should. We are This, this, this county is a majority of Navajo, uh, not white guys, and for some reason, we don't have any representation. I think the only thing I have to say about that, nothing against them whatsoever, you look at most of the boundaries and they're all out of whack. Well, so this is the thing. Like This is, this is something that's been happening in the last couple of years, a lot of federal judges have been requiring districts to be redrawn. So that's what happened here. The judge said, yeah, this has been completely biased. It's been gerrymandered to a point of, of being blatant, uh, and we're going to fix that. And so now um, it's been drawn... If you look at the map, and, and it's not on the printed thing here, but if you look at the map, yeah, that. Uh, so it kind of shows you the old line, the old line. The, the map in the actual article also shows you the percentage of Navajo versus white people. So it kind of went right around the Navajo. Oh, they totally did it. They totally did it. So the Navajo uh, portion was less than half in as much of the area as they could. And and now it's massive, the way the lines have been redrawn. Uh, and you got a whole bunch of old white people now in San Juan County going, well, now we don't have any say because these Navajo people have all the say and we can't make any laws and, uh, you know, fuck We em. can't screw them over anymore. Yeah. 
I it's bigger than that, though, because this this is talking about special election in November and how oh, yeah. the American Indian candidates that are running are all Democratic. There are no Republicans that are running. So, so yeah, the change, is, change is coming. The poor white Republican man doesn't so have a thing. place to win. The county overall, this, this, it's called Utah. Uh, this article from the Trib says... Uh, it's at least 50% American Indian and 47% white. So they should. And that's according to the most recent census data. Uh, so in jail, oh, this is, this goes back to 2012 when they filed the suit. So this has been like five years before they could actually get this switched over. Um, wow. So, and the judge approved a plan designed by a uh, university of California, Irvine professor. Um, so District 1 has an American Indian population of 11.1%, District 265.6, and District 379.7. So that tells you the districts are being drawn, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit more fairly, uh, but certainly that, that makes a little more sense that you should have two representatives, uh, probably from the Navajo Nation and one from uh, the White Nation. So they have a district that they're going to own as, as white people, but... Uh, uh, the Navajos are going to be able to take a little bit more control down there in San Juan County, which is good because that's good. where they live. Um, so uh, not hopefully not speaking of dead people. I'm just no trying to keep people. this train. I'm just trying to really? keep this train rolling uh, with dead, dead people. people. <laughs> well, I guarantee you, this motel's probably had dead people in it before. Um, this is cool what they're doing. This is though. not going to work because I'm looking at the rest of the stories. You cannot keep this up. Just so you know. <laughs> I'm going to try. No We're going to try. People. Don't worry. I'm going to work death into each of them. Uh, so anyway, there's a, a motel down on State Street, the Capitol Motel. I'm sure you've seen it. The sign is very. Yeah, you can't distinct. miss it. If you drive down State Street, there's actually a bunch of motels like this and. Um, they're basically, you know, 15-minute rooms to have sex with a hooker type of motels. Back um, in the day, though, these were really cool Our people are, like, hotels. living there, and you can tell because, like, they've got, like, their old... So they have... Like, there's some serious They had some extended there. stay rates and stuff like that. Well, the... the, 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 the was it the county that bought it? Well, it's not like city, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay, so the city bought it, and they're starting to buy these up, and then quietly they kind of remodeled it a little bit, and now it's a, a short-term low-income housing. So well, that's an so awesome, awesome idea. Studio, basically studio apartment-style housing um, that they expect people to be there for 12 months, rent-controlled, uh, low-income stuff, and to get them on their feet and out into another home to help pull people off the streets. That, the, the, these little... These little motels are similar to the space that uh, Oleo's in. Yeah. It used yes. to be one of these yep. little Yeah, very similar to that. And hotels. so the, the, the city and the county are starting to buy these up as... I think that's smart. Kind of halfway houses, I guess. But they're going to be installing security gates. They'll have... You know, visitors are only welcome certain times. They'll have hours so, yeah. So it'll keep the, the drug population down. It'll keep the, the prostitution minimized. I don't know. I feel that there are actually a lot of these on State Street that There's a ton could work. You know. Okay. Am I wrong? Is there Plus, a, it's where the homeless people Is there a hot tub rental place on State Street? That's like a, looks like a bunch of storage a units. Yeah, no, no, no. So it looks like a bunch of storage unit, like garage door type storage units. And I think inside of them, there are hot tubs and you can rent time. Oh, so you don't hot take tubs. the hot tub with you. You go there. I was no. thinking. I was you thinking. might want to get checked out after being in a hot tub like that, I'm guessing. But I swear to God, there's a place that does that on State Street right by this, the right by the hotel. Maybe just not anymore. I cannot say I've seen such a place. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'll have to point it out to you sometime when we're driving on State Street. We don't drive on State Street. Well, we'll do it just to point it out. Um, Last so, time I dro- drove on State Street, somebody went crashed, almost crashed into me. So Utah is uh, trying to get more water rights from Bear Lake uh, so they can kill people downstream uh, from the Bear Lake River. <laughs> you should have done River. like a Bear River massacre comment. Okay. It would have worked way better. I don't really know much about the Bear River Massacre. A bunch of people died on the Bear River is my guess. <laughs> no. Is that accurate? Hence, yeah. <laughs> massacre. It's uh, Bear Lake, actually. So, I mean, what, so Utah is trying to get a 400,000 uh, acre feet water right uh, to um, Bear Lake and, and Bear River. Um, and basically, it's they're trying to is it that they're trying to put a new dam in? I can't remember. I read well, this apparently this ago. is like a part of the lake that is not called for, but not not called for, not spoken for. It's not claimed, you know, yeah. with like a little white flag. And a lot of people are worried that if, if they do this and they, they divert this water, it's going to dry up a whole bunch of wetland area. Um, so it's still kind of in open policy. They're, they're trying to do it. I don't know if they'll be able to, um, but they're, they're trying to divert water so they can get to farms and stuff between Bear River and Salt Lake, basically. That's a lot. 400,000 acres. 400,000 acre feet. There's a lot of volume, but it's, it's, it's a big chunk of water rights out of, out of Bear Lake. For drinking water or for irrigation, or did they specify? No, they actually said right here that they're unable to say exactly where Utah intends to send the water if it's successful. Or sell it to California. This is given that Utah already controls the water necessary for Bear River development. Frankel acknowledged that it was entirely unclear why Utah wanted alone 400,000 Yeah, so who knows what they really want to do with it. I mean, maybe just have the rights, I guess. I don't know. I think we just like to take things. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. Ask people down in San Juan County. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you kill... And the lady behind Kmart, but she won't answer your questions. <laughs> if you kill someone, it might have been because you're addicted to drugs, but now there's a bakery. And these people are killing it here. Yeah, see? <laughs> we're pulling this shit forward. We're going to keep doing it, Jess. You're with gotcha. me now. You weren't on board before. You were making fun of me. Now you're totally in. Uh, so anyway, there's a, there's a bakery. One um, foot's in the grave. It's called Flourish Bakery. Um, and they do kind of like we, what we talked about that coffee shop downtown. Um, they hire um, ex-cons and people that addicts. are I, that I are addicted or recovering like, addicts. I feel like this is even a better skill to learn than being a barista, because like sure, sure, baking leads to cooking, and everybody likes to eat. So this but is nobody a, likes coffee, except for dead people. <laughs> dead people don't like to eat. <laughs> you don't know that they like brains, man. <laughs> So this is doing the same thing that the shop was doing, that they give them like a year or, or the other the other program that we're the other yes, culinary the co- program yeah, that we're talking about. The coffee shop wasn't quite a year, but these guys are but doing a full year. But we talked about the other culinary program. Um, That's training for convicts. chefs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the same kind of like year long uh, externship is what they call them. So. Yeah, well, so these guys are doing an internship and then they place them in an externship, don't they? You can help them earn money by donating to Mountain America right. Credit Union. So my, no, no. <laughs> my favorite line in this is that Mountain America Credit Union donated $500 to live right now, which is the organization that is part of this. $500, really? Especially you're, considering you're, the sponsor RSL. Freaking credit union, and that's all you can donate to the cause. And, and, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's the tagline in the story that they donated 500 bucks. They probably just emptied those change thingies on all the counters. <laughs> <laughs> Their take a penny has collected a lot. Um, they, you know, there's a lot of companies actually that, that do that. You kind of have to look for them. And, and I, I say there's a lot. There's actually not that many. But like. Um, <laughs> You're killing me here. I well, say there's a lot, but there's not really there, that there's many. There's not that many. There are some. Um, but it's hard if you are a convicted felon, if you are a convict, if you're a recovering addict, it's very hard to get a good job. Baskin Robbins always finds out. <laughs> That's true. But you can have a smoothie on your way out. Always That's find Ant-Man, out. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so Bullfrog Spas, for example, which is a, a local Utah company, uh, does hot tubs. They don't rent hot tubs. No, they <laughs> sell them. Not State Street. They sell <laughs> them. Storage but units. they hire the big garage. They hire ex cons. They hire people coming out of prison uh, and give them good jobs, and and they keep them for a long time. Like I, there are people that have been working there for for ten years out until they die. Eh, maybe not that, but there's there's just not a ton of companies that do that. Uh, and there's not a lot of jobs for people that are actually trying to. That are above ground. Yeah. I mean, my brother still works at McDonald's, right? Yeah, but he's so, a manager. And that's probably the highest hope that he can hit. McDonald's doesn't always find out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they, they totally know because they know that he can't drive, and so they have to send McDonald's him. McDonald's turns a blind eye. When they send him on, on training things, they, they know that send, they have to. They send someone with him yep. to drive him. Uh, oh, yeah. So, and then there's this other coffee shop, uh, Lucky One's Coffee, one. that uh, hires people with disabilities. Yes, so they in have, Park City. Yeah, they have about like 16 people. It's in a library in Park City. Um, and they have, I think it's 16 employees that all have different disabilities, uh, whether it be injuries 14. or 14. I'm sorry, I have a disability. Um <laughs> Usually math is your wow. strong suit. Is your brain dying? <laughs> There's just too much. I'm the only one that reads these, so. Uh, wrong. Jessica reads them. It's true. Just Jeremy and I. So we I, don't do anything but show up for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, you know, that's another really good uh, organization. And, they haven't and even been open a month yet. No, and they're killing it in terms of their model. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so speaking of people dying, right? The Rio Grande. <laughs> I was just down there. Nobody was dead. There but might be dead people behind. Did you get any heroin? I see dead people. You know, the other place you can die is Rose Park, which is right up against the Utah State Fair Park. Both of those sites, the reason I mention them, uh, are being considered for a year-round public market. So basically a year-round farmer's market that will turn into the West Valley Flea Market that no one will go to and you can buy tamales from. <laughs> we just make no wrong because this happens in many other cities across the country, and I think it would be rad. Although I don't agree with either of those spots. That West Valley flea market is something else. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with it either. Yet yeah, <laughs> in the old food for less building, <gasps> they could put it in the and they could put it in that Kmart with a dead body behind it. <laughs> <laughs> they used no. to do it at the drive-through. Here's the thing: the no, they drive-in theater. No, they still, they do, still the do that meet. one. That's the swap. The swap yeah. That's they still do that every Saturday in the summer. It's probably starting now. Is and that, you can't I, buy anything good there. Is that drive-in theater like still savers. open though? Yeah. 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 The one on Redwood? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they I can't regulate stuff like they do at Savers. I haven't been to a drive-in <laughs> drive movie for a long time. <laughs> savers. You and okay. Savers. So you guys got to... My daughter, I think... So, so we're, the, before, before we started the show, our, our daughter FaceTimed us because she's looking for prom dresses. Yeah, we talked about and, it. And we're talking out loud and Jeremy's like... Just go to Savers. And she goes, you guys are assholes. 
I'm serious. They have a whole prom selection. My daughter would never, <laughs> ever buy her dress at Savers. She ever. should, though. They have good deals. We should sell her dresses she after she's done with them. I still have my two dresses. No. She can wear one of mine. Oh, so, yeah, you have two dresses. My girls each have four freaking dresses. And uh, I one. rented mine my you first year. Make a baby blanket out of them someday. No, oh God. they're cute. a little teddy bear. Throw what else are you gonna do with them? And they're not soft. I'll put them in a the dog's kennel. You're gonna give them to savers. Some other girls. No, actually. Prom. So Cassidy actually reused hers because for her her sorority thing, they went to Vegas and they did like a a special night out. And she <laughs> Special wore night out of Vegas. Yes. So she wore her prom dress. So back to killing it at the uh, Salt Lake Market, Jess. Where would you suggest then, if you don't like uh, the Rio Grande or or uh, Fair Park? I wanted somewhere between like sixth and ninth. You know what would be great is someplace that actually has parking. Why? Because they don't. Yeah, they don't have parking. Like at all, like less. Than I didn't the, say where exactly. That's a huge block, and there is no parking between. What if you had it in one? There's no parking downtown either. What if you had it in one of the clubs since nobody uses those in the morning? Yeah, like put it in <laughs> no, the bay. No, this is like permanent. Put it inside oh, yeah, of the bay. bay. Just use that building. That would yeah. be a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> they can't knock that building down either because that's a historical plaque on there's there. There's a there's a there's a uh, plot of land across from that new federal building, which is I think right by the bay as well. Oh yeah, it is. I know it's the right owner. Across. I know yeah. the there's person. There's plenty who owns of buildings they could dismember downtown. No, that that's an open hole right now. Uh, they could put that. <laughs> 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 they could put a lot of bodies in it. <laughs> Yeah, you can bury a lot of shit there. <gasps> that was a good All one. right. Like the swap meet. Put the whole thing in there. <laughs> All of it. Uh, I got a bike there when oh I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to a swap meet. You're missing out, but you don't like savers, so you probably hate oh, it. Oh, I'm fine with savers. <laughs> but only for hard plastic things that you can wash. <laughs> I've got a vibrator from savers. Shut up. <laughs> It's a massager. <laughs> yeah, a personal <laughs> massager. It fits on your hand. It's like a 1950s personal <laughs> massager. It's true. You should see the one my grandpa has at his house. No, thank your you. Your grandpa has a vibrator <laughs> that he's no. shown you? So it's a, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I was at his house about a it's month got a ago. Hand and crank. I was like, shun, no, shun, no, it has shun. an electric switch. And it's like a seat. It's like a you cushion, s- you and sit you on it? sit on it. Oh yeah, and you turn it on. No joke. And I was like, that's "Grandpa, a, that's a total porn and fetish." No, I was like, "Why no, no, do really, you have that's this?" That's a total porn fetish. I was like, "Why do you have this?" And he was like, "It was your great grandfather's," and he kind of explains why he used it. But then I was like, "You, you grind know, wheat with it." I was like, "You know, this is for ladies, right?" <laughs> like I said that to him, but he wasn't. He wasn't having it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it works. He made me sit on it like a month ago. <laughs> True <What>? story. <laughs> I'm going to actually go get it. He lives down the street. I'll go get it and bring it to a show one night. Do you need to take a picture of it and post it up there? No, I'm bringing it. I'm, I'm going to make down, you by the sit way, on it. Sitting on Grandpa's vibrator. <laughs> it's a cushion. That's a it's like a right box. I don't even know what it is. It's a box? <laughs> Wow. It's square. I'm really glad our guest is gone. <laughs> I don't think he would appreciate it all this. Probably not. Well, and unfortunately, when he goes to listen to his interview, he will get to hear it. <laughs> Hopefully his kid's not in the room. <laughs> uh, okay, so eight fun facts about beer in Utah. I'm sure someone's died from drinking too much beer. 
and lots of people car. have died. It's called alcohol poisoning. Uh, drink and drive responsibly. <laughs> Why don't drink and drive? <laughs> Drink and try responsibly. Wow. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> so, someone else read these facts. I'm the Hashtag drink and drive responsibly. Oh my gosh. So, you know, this article is probably out because it's craft brewing month per Mayor Biskupski. Yeah, we talked about that last week. By the way, if you buy a craft beer at Rio Tinto Stadium, you get four ounces less beer than if you just buy a regular And at nine beer. bucks a pop or ten bucks a pop Why? like that. I don't know, quite but the, the lady was trying to convince Chris that it wasn't really that much smaller. She's like, it's not that much smaller than this cup that's four ounces more. I'm like, yeah, that's 25% more, bitch. Um, <laughs> so they're really say that, we're going to have up to 30 open by the end of the year. Breweries? Yeah. Wow. I keep telling Jeff he needs to insure right. them. Look, so here's the thing. Not all of them are going to be good. There's going to be some terrible ones, and we need to fish those out so I don't waste my time. You could be a fisher. Because the, 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 it could be a Fisher. Fisher beer. <laughs> That's local. Yeah, I know, but it's not, are they terrible? Are you telling me they're terrible? No, I hear they're awesome. You wouldn't know. You're a bad source of information on breweries. <laughs> you don't drink. <laughs> I'm a bad source of information on a lot of things. What's your point? Apparently not old vibrators, though. <laughs> <laughs> you got some firsthand knowledge of ancient vibrations. Grandpa's box. <laughs> Come on, Jess. Come sit on my thingy over here. It work that way. My grandpa's not a creeper. No, not the way you told it. No. <laughs> Man, when I retell that story, though, our audience all knows what really happened. Uh, all right. Okay, so 23. That's how many uh, breweries are producing and selling beer in the state right now. Uh, wow, 23 already. Jeez. So, yeah, 30 open by the end of the year. 10 within six miles between 2nd South and 2100 South. And we talked, cool. about, we talked about that before. The brewery, the brewery call. Byway. Call, byway. We whatever. tried to name them. So, oh, and let's see if we were right. So, Desert Edge, Epic, Fisher, Proper, Red Rock. We didn't get Roja. Roja. Roja was the one. I said Roja. Did, did you? you? Yes, remember. indeed, I did. did. Shades of Pell and Squatters. And um, not on that row is Wasatch and Uinta. Although, technically, Wasatch is uh, part of the beer co-op, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're in that area. That's so the Squatters. I was impressed with Shades of Pale, by the way. Yeah, but the Squatters' actual like brew pub is, is in that that. Uh, that chunk of, of space. So almost four. Ogden has two beer production facilities, Roosters and Talisman. And I like Roosters. Uh, I've never had Talisman stuff yet. Though. We'll have Talisman on next week. I'll have to run up there and grab some. So uh, Roosters B Street Brewery. So I guess Roosters is opening another one. Uh, and Ogden River Brewing Company is going to be opening. Uh, 4,500, the number of full-time jobs that our brewing industry Yeah, supports. I think we talked about that. Wow, that's, that's a lot of that's jobs. Cool, it's a lot of jobs. <coughs> 4,500. Uh, 27th. Uh, so... There's no dead space. Utah's 27th <laughs> in production for the craft of beer. What? There's no dead space. Yeah. Let me just trying to play in the dead. Oh. Never mind. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, <laughs> you know what... $425 million impact on the local economy. That's crazy. Uh-oh, 3.2. I'm glad they put that in there. Um, up to four, I didn't know that they could do it up to 4%. I thought it was like 
3.8. by volume. So 3.2 is by weight. So they're different. So that's why you always hear about 3.2. Um, and honestly, most of the really good beers from these these guys, you have to go there and get or go to the state liquor store and get because they do make higher point beers. Like one of my favorites is Squatters Does Hell's Keep, which is a really good, but it's like somewhere between 10 and 12 point. Uh, oh, what's funny is they'll sell um, uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, and that has if that's more than three point two. But it's by volume it's versus by volume, weight. yeah. Oh, so it's all about by volume. So malt beverages, I think, have to be marked as by volume, and most most beers are typically measured by weight. Um, and then uh, so Salt Fire Brewing is the next one coming. Um, and I hear they're awesome. Like, if you want a great conversation about uh, craft brewing, about um, home brewing, these these are your go-to guys. So does does uh, does Hoppers count as a local brew house? Because they brew their own stuff, don't they? They have their own brew. It's a brew yeah, pub. It's, well, right. I mean, yeah, they've got right there. But right. they're they're a national company, aren't they? I don't know. I don't know. But they do have their. They're not. They're not my favorite. I know they're yours, but they're not. They have those stills right inside. I mean, you can. Yeah, see I mean, they brewing. clearly brew. But every time I go there, I can't get any root beer. Well, and that's what I was going to say. So I, I will say this: my favorite thing at Hoppers is their microbrew root beer. And any place I can go get microbrew, like uh, the pie, has really good microbrew root beer. Um, that's one of the things that some of them do, uh, along with making beer. That's really good. Um, so yeah. Um, what the hell, <laughs> My notes, sorry. <laughs> Your notes are loud. Um, before we wrap up, we have one more story that we have to talk about. Did you guys see the toilet papering in Salina? Yes. It's pretty much amazing. So uh, the sheriff of a, pol- or a police truck in Salina was toilet papered over this last weekend. And the police went to Facebook and posted a response with the picture. And it says, uh, this has caused a few youngsters to get their face out of the screen, prevented them from eating Tide Pods, snorting condoms, or Smarties. This also has many health benefits, including a little cardio, as you round around toilet papering the chief of police's truck, breathing deeper than normal while laughing your guts out, creating a lifelong memory with your friends. This also caused a few adults to get outside and exercise, breathing deeper than normal, cleaning up the mess, all while laughing their guts out, reminiscing about their youth when they did the exact same thing with their friends. But some people would not appreciate this happening to them. Once again, the Salina police do not recommend this type of activity. But how cool <laughs> that they funny. took the higher road and were just like... That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's. I just, I thought it was It's really hard awesome. to fingerprint toilet paper, though. <laughs> 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 so then I gotta find him. With us today we have Barry B Dog Hancock. Uh, B Dog. That's a call sign, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll ask you about that in just a second. So you're the owner of uh Utah Warbird Adventures and Pilot yeah. Makers Flight School, right? Yeah, that's correct. Up in Heber City. Alright, how'd you get how'd you get the call sign B Dog? Uh actually so um, for people that are not familiar with call signs, call signs are something that are assigned um, to typically military aviators, um, but uh, th- it's kind of spilled over into the civilian world, into the warbird world. Um, and so when you're participating in typically in formation clinics and things like that, um, everybody's got a call sign and call signs are 
typically assigned for something that you did that um, either something you did or a characteristic that you may not be super proud of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a lot of really good stories, but fortunately for me, it was a college nickname that I picked up. And then I went, when I went to my first formation clinic, they said, uh, you have a call sign. I'm like, yeah, it's B dog. And so they just let you make up your own. So, yeah. (laughs) So, and it's stuck. And I've had several times where they've tried to pin a new call sign on me and I've just kind of laughed it off and said, yeah, whatever. And if you, if you fight a new call sign, it'll be your new call sign. But I've successfully held this one for, uh, you know, basically my entire adult life. You can have like hyphens like B dog, something like last names, you know, when you take on, you can have like a really long, like, (laughs) They have five names like my wife, yeah. <laughs> I, I would just think if you had like, you know, a hyphenated call sign, it's it's just going to become erroneous. Like B-Dog's easy to say in the, the heat of things, but, you know, B-Dog, Henderson, Jackson is really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, violates the radio brevity protocols. Yeah, I think, yeah so. That's right. I think so. Do you Do you talk like a commercial airline pilot when you're on the radio? I just talk how I talk. Okay, so did they go to school not. to like talk a radio like that? DJ? <laughs> Where in the plane and I was like, "Have you done radio before?" <laughs> Have you ever flown commercial flights? Uh, you mean as a as a commercial pilot? Yeah. Uh, no, I um, I fly. Um, a number of different airplanes, and I have a commercial pilot's license. Uh, you have to have that to get paid to fly. Um, as a matter of fact, this year I just uh, started flying a, um, a pretty uh, pretty cool business jet um, for uh, a client, and so we fl- we share the same airspace with the with the big boys, but I don't fly for the airlines. Good deal, good deal. So you were a radio DJ at one time? Um, well, in college, yeah, I was a DJ. Uh, but then I got in sports broadcasting um, as a career after I finished up with uh, my professional career playing tennis and did that for about six years. See, this story just keeps getting deeper. So you were a pro tennis player. So, okay, so where'd you go to college? I, I went to uh, Chapman College. Uh, we were number one in the nation, Division Two, the two years I was there. And then I, I moved on to uh, University of California. Berkeley. I would say which campus, yeah. yeah. And tennis? You played professional? I did after college, yeah. Like Venus and Serena Williams? Well, not like? quite that good. <laughs> <laughs> I, their name I comes like to mind. Like, like girls, well, yeah. <laughs> well, their name popped into my mind because that, that documentary thing I was watching on A&E about Compton last night, they were talking about all the famous people that have come out of Compton, including the Williams sisters. Straight out of Compton. Well, so. yeah, and uh, so the, the Williams sisters were, at, were, you know, after me. They're younger than I am, but uh, I grew up in Southern California. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's no the kidding, angry right? guy? Yeah, they're younger. The angry guy from all the 90s. <laughs> yeah. The tennis now. guy. The one, the, the angry guy that was all... Uh, McEnroe. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I remember him just because he was always angry. No, he's probably your age. He's actually probably older yeah, than Probably. Because he was playing in the 90s, so I'm sure he's older yeah, probably. than Probably. He just came out with a book. Did he? So apparently, it's pretty good. Best tennis book I read, though, is Andre Agassi's book. You got to read that. Like, just as a human interest book, it's an awesome book. So how do you go from playing tennis to flying planes for a living? 
You don't see the similarity there? I mean, it's like trying. I kind of get like the, <laughs> the, the tennis sports. Balls fly. I get like the, the sports broadcasting into pilot because you get to talk on a radio. Yeah, there you go. There's maybe some similarity. <laughs> it's yeah. a radio that goes really fast. That's <laughs> like if we said that we would be pilots next because we were on a podcast. <laughs> I have flown planes before. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But um, I always wanted to be a pilot as a kid. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And, um, you know, things didn't work out there. I got actually hit in the eye with a tennis ball and had a torn retina when I was a kid. And I was told that that disqualified me from pilot training. But, uh, you know, tennis kind of worked out pretty well for me. And then um, I, when I was 31, I had the time and the money and just decided I'm going to do this. It was something I always wanted to do. And it was something, I, you know, I didn't want to fly um, just kind of straight and level, you know, Cessna's boring stuff. I was wanted, I was always attracted to the World War II airplanes. And um, it's something that I've, you know, pursued and luckily been able to make a career out of. That is that is quite impressive because most most pilots like almost all commercial pilots, and then most pilots beyond that that, that do a lot of private flying, they get trained in the military or are trained to be pilots fairly young. But I mean, thirty is is fairly old to. Oh, it's to a total dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying to to pick up to pick up a, a new skill like being an airline you know an airplane pilot at thirty and then just move your whole life in that direction. That's, that's quite the change at 30. Yeah, it was. Um, but you know, it was, it was something I've always felt driven to do. And so it was, it was an easy transition to make. And I was, like I said, I was fortunate, you know, to be in a position in my life where I could start doing it. And then frankly, a lot of things have just kind of lined up that I didn't expect to be where I am today. Were you married at the time when you made that? Uh, that's a good question. I was not. <laughs> yeah. That makes that sense. That might have changed some things. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> married and or kids. Yeah. 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 So, so to kind of bring it back to the. But I, I, on that on that oh, point, I, I just like to say that I have a, a dang supportive wife uh, and six kids that are also super supportive of what I do, um, and I'm really really fortunate to have all of that. Look, I got to be honest. If my dad, when I was a kid, was flying World War II aircraft and air shows and it's doing crazy stunts, and that's that was like that's that would be the coolest dad in the world. Like you must be like way above Jeremy at career day. <laughs> hey, I don't know. You were pretty popular. At career I know, day. I know Jeremy, but he, Jeremy's an architect. So not a super exciting career day kind of guy, but, but I did Wayne Manor. Yeah. That was my suggestion. Yeah. And I, and I did Peter Parker's apartment. Okay. And so I took those. And the kids think that so he So I talked knows about the boring stuff. So he blew the fireman out of the water. But then I, I held up Wayne Manor, and it's the whole schematic of Wayne Manor. That's awesome. And that's where I went. See, I walk into a school wearing a flight suit. I've, you know, I've got him at the word go, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's hard it, for the it, rest of us to compete. Yeah. So it's a good thing you don't... They should put him in order. They should put him in a specific order. Like, teachers should be smart and put, like groups of people. Are you kidding? Teachers are just glad they've got like the 20 minute break. Yeah, they're like I'm, I don't care man. These people are taking them out of here. Day. We never even had <laughs> I can grade papers. We didn't, have, we didn't have career day at my daughter's school ever. It's because she's Catholic. It's Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think that they're just going to all become priests and nuns? Yeah. <laughs> they do, don't they? Uh, no. That are strippers. <laughs> Considering my daughter is uh, atheist, I'm thinking no. <laughs> So, what brought you to Utah? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you go to California. And right. Yeah, no, I grew up in Southern California, but family brought me here. So, uh, about 10 years ago. Yep. 
Your yeah. family, the wife's family combination. Uh, actually, yeah, co- combination. It's kind of a complicated story. Probably, you know. You got time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, uh, um, you know, I grew up in Southern California and then uh, moved here about 10 years ago. And um, we, uh, we love it here. We love it here, too. That's why we made a podcast about it. I love it. That's great. That's an amazing place. All right. So I want to, now we've talked a little bit about the background. I, I want to know about your airplanes because you own a lot of really cool airplanes now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know. <laughs> it has to be a little bit mind blowing. Yeah. Like it, they're it, in your possession. It, it is. I mean, I was talking to my wife the other day and I'm like, it's, I tell, tell my wife that it's getting kind of hard for me to look people in the eye and kind of, you know, tell them what I do with a straight face. Cause it, it's gotten to the point where I am completely living a dream. I mean, to be totally honest. Um, and I don't say that to brag. I feel extraordinarily fortunate to do what I do. Um, but, uh, I get up and go to work every day and, you know, um, we work hard for sure, but I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And I, uh, especially in the last kind of year, things have fallen into place and all the things that are high on my bucket list, I'm now doing. And so I, I just, I feel extraordinarily lucky and blessed to be able to do it. So what is that, what is that top thing on your bucket list in terms of, of professionally or what kind of plane do you want to fly the most? The like, P-51 that? Mustang. <laughs> what you're working on. No, I'm doing. Yeah, it's happened. Oh, it is done? It's completed yeah. and ready to be sound amazing in the sky? Yep. No, well, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a plane for, that uh, is owned by the Commemorative Air Force, which is the largest um, flying museum of a collection of aircraft in the, in the country. They're down, are they down in Arizona? Is they're, all, they're all over the all place, over. actually. Yeah. There's Arizona, Southern California, Dallas. Uh, the, the P 51 that I fly is actually in Atlanta. Um, but you know, from the time I was a little kid, the I, first time I heard the sound of a P 51, um, it was a plane that I always just, I, I, I wanted to do that. And here I am, you know, 40 years later, doing it and uh i I still can't believe it i mean and and, you know people say to me what's it like to fly p51 i'm like it's everything you ever thought it would be times 10 (laughs) i mean it's just awesome there is nothing like that sound yeah and i don't know how familiar your audience is with what a p51 is but chris you're gonna have to drop that sound in i know you hate sound bites but it's it's pretty you got a sound bite of a merlin and i'll put a oh, i'll put goodness. a uh, an audio clip of like a youtube video on our blog that okay. people can see yeah yeah it's awesome so um, how does that work if they if they're in possession of it they, they have shows and you go to the show and yeah so um obviously you know there's not a lot of these airplanes around there's about a hundred of them flying in the country um most of them are privately owned the commemorative air force i think owns five of them um and they require a fair amount of um experience in other airplanes like the t6 that we you know fly utah warbird adventures um, and then it's being in the right place at the right time and, and connecting with the right people and having them say, hey, we'd like you to come fly our airplane. And that's what happened. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So what is this commemorative Air Force? Is, is it just a bunch of old Air Force pilots? Or? That's actually kind of how it started back in the 50s. Um, it was, um, and, and it, the interesting thing is the P-51 that I'm flying was the first plane for the commemorative Air Force. It is the original airplane wow. of the commemorative Air Force. Wow. Um, so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we... Uh, so now it's a it's just aviation enthusiasts. A lot of them are retired 
airline pilots, airline mechanics, um, people that have had, you know, a background in aviation, but there's a, it's a, you know, there's tens of thousands of volunteers across the country. Um, and a lot of them are just, you know, enthusiasts and want and love American U S military history. And this is a way that anybody off the street can be involved. You don't have to have any technical skills. You just have to have, you know, you just have pardon the you know expression, but you just have to be a warm body and show up and, and want to participate. And, um, cause it's an all volunteer organization. Um, and, uh, you know, we spend, you know, considerable our own, you know, time and resources to be a part of this, to keep history flying. I know a few years ago when the Memphis Bell came to Utah, yeah, we went and saw it uh, the weekend that it was here. And then we were talking to some of the volunteers and they said that the one of the struggles with keeping these older planes up is it's not like there's a catalog that you open it up and buy the parts out of. He said that for, for that particular plane, they have a a machinist somewhere back yeah. east who makes the parts That's right. as they're needed. Yeah. Um, on some of the older, more rare airplanes like the B-17, um, there are a lot of parts that are machined. The good thing is, is because they're American airplanes, um, we have all the, not all, but the vast majority of the technical drawings for most of the types from World War II. So it's pretty easy when I say easy, it's not cheap, right? But, but it can be. It, it can, yeah. The, all the stuff can be made new, and that's happening more and more as you know more parts become of the what they call the old stock parts are no longer available. So, um, but there's enough um, there's enough people flying them, and enough you know enthusiasm and enough money behind it that uh, they'll continue to fly for the foreseeable future. Do the the other locations around the country? Because I follow the one in Arizona. Um, online, do they all do the same thing where they offer flights on these planes? Um, yeah, I mean, that's travel? a major source of the re- revenue. Yeah. Like for the P-51 that I fly, it is the major source of revenue for the entire wing. You have my, you have all my money. Yeah. Just let me come okay. fly on that plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They've got all of mine too, so. <laughs> so what do you fly here locally? What planes do you have? So at Utah Warbird Adventures, our flagship airplane is the T-6. And that was a North American T-6 was a World War II trainer. Trained all the Allied fighter pilots of World War II um, for the U.S., for Britain, for Canada. Uh, And um, it it was the last plane that a pilot would fly before they would go on to fly a fighter, like a P-51 or a P-40 or P-38 in the Air Force, a P-47 in the Air Force, or the Navy fighters like a F-6F Hellcat or a F-4U Corsair, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, So if if you were going to fly a... Uh, a single-engine airplane, uh, tactical aircraft uh, in World War II, the last plane you would fly would be a T-6, or the Navy called it an SNJ. Um, and there were about 15,000 of them built. The neat thing about this airplane is that it's a fantastic trainer, and a testament to that is that the last Air Force to retire the airplane was the South African Air Force in 1998. So this plane had the mm-hmm. longest, op- wow, wow. yeah, the, had the longest operational history of any aircraft in aviation history as a trainer. What made it the plane of choice? Was it easy to fly? Was mm, well, it- no, um, <laughs> but it it did kind of uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Um, it, it it was a it was an honest airplane, um, and it was somewhat forgiving in the air. It did have some more advanced, uh, what we call departure characteristics. So when you get slow enough and the plane doesn't want to fly anymore, a lot of planes will just kind of stall and then the nose will drop and that'll be the end of it. And you just, you know, relax the back pressure on the stick and the plane starts flying again. People think of a stall at the engine.
in quitting. It has nothing to do with that, right? It's the wings stops creating enough lift to keep the plane in the air. Well, in the, in the case of the T6, just because by virtue of its design, um, it tends to drop a wing. And if you don't catch that early enough, you'll actually, you know, if you're upright, it'll end up on its back. You'll end up upside down, um, which is pretty startling <laughs> if you're not expecting it. Yeah, I can not see on that. purpose. Yeah. It, but, you know, you can also do it like when I check out uh, pilots in the in the T6, we'll do it in, intentionally. Right. Um, the, and it's always very eye opening. Uh, to, to new pilots. And so it taught you really well how to fly an airplane well, right? Um, and then landing the airplane is tough. It's just by virtue of the, the geometry of the landing gear. Um, when you come into land, it's very intolerant of um, imprecision when you're landing it. And then you throw in gusty winds or crosswinds and all those kinds of things that are trying to get the airplane to do what it already is prone to do. Uh, you really got to stay ahead of it and it's got a pretty narrow envelope. So hmm. uh, it teaches you um, really good, what we call stick and rudder skills. Um, and once you can fly that, they say, you know, once you can fly a T6, you can fly anything. So um, the, the, the value of the T6, even through the late nineties with the South Africans was they used it as a spin trainer because it had some pretty advanced spin characteristics that were really great for pilots to see and learn how to deal with. That's my next ride. There you go. <laughs> Spins on the T6. I did it in a biplane already. That sounds like a band. Yeah, there T6. you go. Spins on the T6. <laughs> so you also have the biplane and you have a twin beach. Yeah. So the Pitts, the, actually the Pitts biplane is an unlimited biplane. Um, first designed in 1945, believe it or not. The last one was um, the last, iter Curtis Pitts designed the airplane and the last iteration of it was uh, in the late nineties. Um, it, and it's, you know, obviously evolved and refined, but if you looked at the first one and you look at this one, they're the same basic design. Um, it's pretty cool. So we have that airplane and it's unlimited aerobatic airplane. You can do anything you could dream up and you, anything you see at an air show you can do in the pits. Um, I, we're getting rid of that airplane though, uh, because we now have an extra 300 and the extra 300 is a modern, um, unlimited aerobatic plane that does all kinds of fun, crazy stuff. Um, and it does it actually more comfortably. You can see out of it better than you can out of the, out of the, um, out of the pits. And it's a little bit bigger airplane. It's more comfortable. So it wasn't uncomfortable. Maybe it is for you because you're much taller. Than <laughs> <I am>. Yeah. <laughs> You sit up higher in the extra as well. And so the visibility is much better. It's just a much better customer experience. So we we're fortunate to be able to, to switch to that. And then the, the Twin Beach is a uh, another iconic airplane that's been around uh, designed previous to World War II, actually. Is that the one you were in? Yes. Yeah. See, I remember stuff. Um, <laughs> I did. And it was, it was another kind of iconic airplane uh, that was produced into the, into the 60s um, and still heavily utilized up until the 90s as a cargo airplane, a kind of a short to medium haul cargo airplane. Um, ours was the um, executive transport for the pre president of Mexico from 1961 to about 1967 um, and uh, then got pushed off into the weeds for a while, went through a 20-year restoration um, that, and we found it was when it was about 95% done. So it's that's, almost a brand new airplane. That's a sad story though. 20 year restoration. Yeah. It's a long time. It is. It was done by a father and son team. Um, and, uh, they, you know, would work on it as they 
could. It's a big, complicated airplane. Um, and they literally took every last nut and bolt out of the airplane and every part and replaced everything with new. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you have a brand new plane. Essentially, yeah. It's a brand new 65-year-old airplane. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So what's your, what's your, uh, what's your favorite maneuver? Oh, you know, it's, um, it, it kind of depends on the airplane. Um, in the T6, the opening maneuver in my air show um, is the most challenging and the most rewarding to fly. Um, it's a, uh, what we call a quarter clover leaf by a, um, and then quarter clover leaf to a, what we call a Humpty bump. Um, these are all vertical maneuvers and they kind of look like loops, but it's very difficult to fly well. Um, and, uh, uh, it gets the attention of the crowd. We come from behind the crowd and, you know, making all kinds of smoke and noise and do this big, huge loop and with a couple of, you know, turns in it. And, um, I really like that. My favorite maneuver to fly, um, in any in any airplane is um what's called a tumble um and the extra tumbles really well uh, this new airplane that we have so you basically get the airplane in a certain position and use gyroscopic effect of the prop to kind of set things up and then you jam the stick in one corner and you jam the rudder in the other corner and the fl plane flips end over end over end over end like a washing machine it's like a washing machine yeah um and uh it looks completely out of control from the ground um and when you first start doing it, it feels kind of out of control, uh, but it's perfectly predictable and it's a ton of fun because it is kind of like, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's like an e-carpet uh, or like an e-ticket magic carpet ride. You know, it's just, it's super fun. Do you have people lose their lunch when you do that one? Um, actually, there's not a lot of violence to it as much as it looks like there is inside the cockpit. It's, it's a fairly light G maneuver. Um, and so you're not getting as much of the, like a positive G or a negative G that that's what tends to get people. Um, this is just kind of disorienting. And then all of a sudden you're flying again. You're like, Oh, wow, that was really cool. Um, like, you know, just imagine getting, you know, picked up and thrown across the yard end over end and landing on your feet. It's kind of what it's like. <laughs> How did, I didn't get a chance to ask you when I came and did my aerobatic flight, but what made you do, uh, like, do aerobatics versus just being a pilot and a teacher? Like, what drew you to that? So I think that goes back to me wanting to be a fighter pilot. It was just the straight and level stuff just is, to me, is not super fun. It's um, you know, there's a practicality to it, right? You can cover long distances and do all that. And, but that's not what did it for me. The, the sport of it is what really attracted me to aerobatics and being able to kind of get the maximum performance out of an airplane and kind of understand that. And the other side of it is there's this, this freedom of expression, right? There's this artistic element to it because you can do whatever you want, right? Within the rules of, of flight and aerodynamics, um, and, you know, you want to keep it above the ground because that creates <laughs> another set of problems. Right. But um, there's just there's there's an artistic outlet there in creativity that is uh, I have not found anything that kind of comes close to that. So how did you go from this is what I want to do to making an actual business out of it? just sheer dumb luck <laughs> being in the right place at the right time yeah i mean I, it started out as a as a hobby um and um i the first airplane that i bought um this was back in 2000 i guess um 
And at the time they were, there was, there's these, um, this was shortly after, um, the, uh, fall of the, you know, of the iron curtain. Right. And so air forces were, um, the Eastern Bloc air forces had all these, you know, had an amazing array of hardware, but they couldn't afford to operate it. The the governments were starving for money. And so they're like, well, let's just sell it. Well, you've got all these, you know, people here in the West and with, you know, money that they can use on these things. And I bought a Chinese military trainer called a Nanchang CJ6A. It's a fantastic airplane. Um, and I, I bought it for $25,000. Wow, that's cheap for any airplane. Well, for any airplane, right? Can't even get an SUV for that. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, we just bought one. Tell me about it. Um, so uh, so um, I started flying that airplane, and that was kind of one thing led to another. I restored it. I upgraded it, kept it for a few years, and I sold it, and I made money. I went, huh, this is kind of cool. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, doing all this formation flying and all this different stuff. And because of my broadcasting background, um, I was able to um, start working as the kind of the PR director for this type club that I was in. And the next thing I know, we're running an event that becomes the biggest event in the country of its kind. And then somebody says, hey, do you want a job selling airplanes? Okay. <laughs> I say no to that. Right. <laughs> And that you know, one thing's led to another, and here we are. How did you end up in Heber? There are a lot of small airports all around Utah. Was there purpose behind that space? So we actually, when we first moved here, I was down in Spanish Fork, um, and hangar space was, it's been kind of at a premium. And so that just seemed to be a good location that was close to where I lived. Um, but um, I actually had some friends um, from all the formation flying and stuff that I'd done with these Chinese airplanes. Um, there's a couple of Chinese and Russian airplanes up in up in Heber. It turns out that Heber is kind of warbird central for Utah. Um, there's more warbirds there than at any other airport in the state. Um, and... Uh, a hangar became available there. And so we were looking for a hangar at the time. And it's just, again, one of those things where everything just kind of fell into place. And uh, it was the right place, right time. And so we bought the hangar there and we've been there ever since. And that's five years ago. How does that work? You put your name on a waiting list or? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to go poke around, right? And just talk to the airport manager and start talking to people. And um, So do you rent the space or you, you actually buy it? There, you can do either. Yeah. So, um, we own our space, but there's also, um, we actually rent out space hmm. as well. Um, and, uh, y there's people there, most of the people that have the hangars and these airports, um, most of them, you know, own, own the hangar. Is that where you work on them as well? Yeah. So it's, it's not just a place to park it. It's. Correct. Maintenance and yeah, and, and there's rules about that, right? I mean, you have to be a, an established company, and you've got to get permits from the city and, and do all those kind of things to be able to work on the airplanes. And then everybody's got to have proper certif certification. And so that's it's not like the thing. neighbor who's worked on his car in his backyard. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some of that exists, but uh, I don't know though. At that level, because it's not, hangar space is not cheap. No, it's so not. I, I assume that most of those people probably try to get the right licensing at least yeah and most of the you know most of the people that own airplanes don't, are not mechanics you're, you're typically either a pilot or a mechanic 
Um, right. I'm a little bit of both, but I don't, I don't have my mechanics license. I've, I've rinsed on and restored a bunch of airplanes, you know, and been involved in that. But I also hired mechanics, qualified mechanics to do the majority of the work. I'd be a little nervous with something that you're flying in right? the air. Yeah. There's, you know, it's one thing to change a tire, but <laughs> working on something that's going to hold your life in the balance. Flight is still safer than your car, though. If you repaired it yourself, though, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and, that, and, and that could be on. that could be the same for your car, though, too. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going 80 miles an hour on the freeway, and your wheel falls off. That could be a bad thing. This is true. <laughs> so, I. You you've been able to fly in formation with with current military aircraft, right? Yeah. With F eighteen yeah. and how how does that happen? Right. You get to fly in formation with those I guys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, so again, this was one of those right place, right type, you know, right time things. Um, we were in Southern California at the time, and we were flying. Um, we were selling these. Uh, military retired military jets from that eastern block these were ex-retired russian fighter trainer type aircraft and um i that tends to attract a particular crowd right um it tends to attract current fighter pilots because they look at that and they go when i'm done with my military career i want to do something like that and i don't know how i got hooked up with tom Mackey. t mac is his call sign um, but, um, I, we got hooked up and we became really good friends and we, we were looking at maybe some, some business ventures together. He was also doing work for the snowball express, which is a, uh, an organization that helped the families of fallen soldiers. And every year snowball express has this biggest extravaganza in Southern California. That's put on by American airlines and, uh, Oakley and a number of really big, you know, international companies and like American airlines donates, I think it's five airplanes and they gather families from all over the country to bring everybody together. It's just kind of part of the healing process. And as a part of that, um, the, he, he came to me cause he was working on the board, um, and said, Hey, would you be interested in flying one of the kids of one of these fallen sol- soldiers? And I said, of course I would, that would be awesome. And so we did a flight with a kid and he said, Hey, um, so T-Mac, it was still working with, um, uh, as a reservist for the Marines flying with a squadron down in Dallas. And he said, um, using his lingo, he said, Hey, my bros are coming out here, um, uh, on a cross country detachment. And it would be really awesome if you guys could do a flyover with you as the lead aircraft with this kid in the back seat <laughs> <laughs> and with the four F 18s. How awesome for that kid too. And so, um, you know, I, it, so nobody lost their wings doing this, right? Um, it's, uh, I don't know if they just did it um, or if they actually went up the chain of command to do it because there's, you know, definitely DOD protocols that sure. need to be followed. You can't just like, you know, hook up in a formation with F-18s. Right. But because of <laughs> because of the connection that we had there um, and, you know, T-Mac had flown with me and knew that I was a safe and competent pilot. Um, he and, and the funny thing was, is typically in a formation flight, you all get in the same together in the same room and you brief it up and say, this is what's going to yeah. happen. And we go and do it. Well, we did a, an email and a telephone brief. And I, I've to this day, I've never met these guys. right? <laughs> Other than when I was beak to beak with four F-18s as they were coming in to, to you know, to establish the rejoin in Southern California. Um, 
that was the first time I met him, um, was at, you know, a closure rate of 500 knots. And, um, then we joined up and they, they handed me the lead and I slid into the lead and they joined up on me and we flew over this event. I mean, it was an amazing experience for everybody. So you the funny story about that is these guys are career aviators, right? Tactical fighter pilot, like best of the best. Yeah. We fly over the site. I'm in the lead. I make a turn away to, to kind of turn and come back. And the lead of the, of the Hornet group texts, he uh call sign, right? He, uh, he says, Hey, where'd you go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And I ended up having to talk his eyes onto me to get him to rejoin on us for the second pass. <laughs> You're way more sneaky. With the P-51, does that mean that you get to do the commemorative flights with the newer jets? Like I went to the air show and they did one with the 35 and it was... I have never, it was unreal. I've never seen anything like it. That is kind of, that's something that I hope to do someday. That's called the Heritage, uh, found right it, Heritage Flight Program. Um, and uh, those pilots are, the civilian pilots are hand-selected pilots. Um, and um, it's a very, very small group from a already very small group. There was nothing like watching that P-51 and that F-35 slow down just to be like neck and neck. Yeah. It was amazing yeah it's cool stuff um but um so the um like i said it it, it could happen uh, you know someday i would be obviously tremendously honored if it, it ever did happen um but you know you never know i mean i never thought i'd make it this far so maybe it'll happen someday we'll call someone i don't know <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the f-35s we were down at uh, luke air force base which is um where they've got the first operational fighter squadrons there in hill here in utah um, and, um, there was an air show down there and we brought the TBM torpedo bomber. Um, it's a world war two torpedo bomber that I also fly. Um, we were down at Luke and when I was leaving, uh, and with this world war two legitimate world war two airplane, um, I was in the run up area holding short of the runway with eight F 35s that were, and it was, you know, that's just beyond cool, right? To be in yes. the, the juxtaposition, right? The irony of those two airplanes sharing the same airspace, you know, the same ground, taking off on the same runway, basically at the same time. Um, it was pretty neat to see. And the funny thing is I'm sitting there in this World War II airplane looking at them going, man, that is the coolest thing ever. That this is like the state of the art. And they're probably doing the same thing to exactly you. Exactly <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, it's nice to know that you still have an appreciation for the excitement of it, even though you've been doing it for so long that I'm like a kid in a candy store. It's, right? so I mean, it's so fun. How do you get, like, how do you choose what shows that you fly at? Do they call you and be like, we need you. Or do you get to be like, Hey, I haven't done this one yet. I'm going to bring my T six. Both actually. Um, when you start out, you're just scratching and clawing and begging. Right. Um, but, you get into your first show and then, you know, hopefully you do a good job and then that just, it starts to snowball from there, but it's a ton of hard work. I mean, you look at the, even the top of the top, like guys like Michael Goulian, who, um, on the air show circuit, he's and Sean Tucker. Um, these guys are, you know, they're making really good money, uh, relative to other, what we call extreme athletes. They don't make a lot, you know, they're only making a million dollars a year. Right. Um, but when you compare that for, for what they do and, and how hard they work, um, they really are kind of underpaid. Um, air shows are the largest 
spectator sport in the country. Mm. A lot, most people don't know that, um, but they get more people at air shows across the country than any other, you know, any other sport does. Even bigger than NASCAR. In, huh? Even bigger than NASCAR, NFL, all of that. Um, and um, these guys are amazing. Um, and they still have to work really hard to maintain their sponsorships. Now they can pretty much get into any air show that, that they want. Um, but they're at the top, you know, 1%, right? Even, even people who are just a step below them, you're still on the phone every week calling, you know, a year, 18 months, two years out to those shows and saying, Hey, we want to come fly your show. Will you hire us? Um, that's the kind of more common way that you get hired than somebody calling you and saying, Hey, we'd like you to come fly our show. Now that does happen. It's happened to me a couple of times this year. Um, so I'm really fortunate that way, but for the, for the most part, you are cold calling shows and developing relationships over years and years and years before they finally say yes. I want to be an announcer. (laughs) You should be. (laughs) That'd be awesome. You should call uh, Spanish fork. They're having an air show this year. Yeah. Go do that. That And a parade. That's my bucket list. I want to be an announcer for a parade. Can you, well, I don't, I don't have to wave from the side, do I? I can just announce oh, from the sidelines. Oh, just be the announcer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I marched marching band, plenty of parades. So I don't that, need to be anywhere. show I get, you have an announcer because everyone's kind of stationary, but how do you announce a parade that's moving the whole time? You've never you been to a parade that's studio. announced? I'm just kidding. You're Haven't right. you ever watched the Macy's Day Parade? <laughs> right? I try not to. I think it's boring. Okay, good point. I think it's boring. <laughs> I don't know. Al Roker. Parades in general are boring. I get air shows. This is freaking cool. You see someone in a giant hunk of metal doing tricks in the middle of the air and flying close to the ground and not killing people, hopefully. Like, that's cool. <laughs> we appreciate you don't kill anyone. Yeah, we'll Maybe try not yourself. to do that. What's yeah. your What's your favorite um, almost kill people air show that you've done? <laughs> <laughs> almost kill people air show. How close have you been to the bleachers? Uh, yeah, that kind of distinction is not something that I got a list for. <laughs> That's not on your business card, huh? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> almost um, killed thirty. Oh my people. gosh, moment. <laughs> the um, it, it's funny that you say that though because um, the air show industry in the United States is the gold standard um, because of the way that they regulate the air shows it it truly is a safe event there it has um up until i think i've got this right up until reno about six years ago where now this is reno air races are a different animal because you've got planes doing more than 500 miles an hour on a closed course they had a plane that lost a part that sent it out of control and it went into the crowd yeah it was a horrible 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 thing that is the only time in U.S. air show history, I believe that there has been a spectator fatality. Wow, that's crazy. And it's crazy. just because of the way that they design the shows and the show line, that the, the, essentially the relief from where the plane is actually flying over to where the crowd sits. Um, it's all about, um, to, to talk about it in blunt terms, they're worried about the scatter, scatter pattern of a plane crashing. Right. And so if I'm going X miles an hour and I hit the ground, if I'm not, if I'm going towards the crowd, I need to be X feet away so that the parts of the plane don't end up in the crowd. And that's how they calculate it. And because of that um, and the other kind of restrictions on what we can do, um, it it keeps the crowd very, very, very safe. I have great news, you guys. It's a. Uh, Warriors over Wasatch years. So they do every yeah, other year, right? That's right. <gasps> it's so exciting. Two years ago, the Brightling planes were here. Yes, they do a fantastic they were, job. They were cooler than the Thunderbirds, if I can say that. <laughs> no, you can <laughs> say that. On US Air on soil. <laughs> they were amazing, and they should come back. It was 
amazing. Yeah, it's a very different, unique show. It was awesome. Yeah. So that's in June, two months. Actually, they have a countdown on here. Two months, 11 days, 22 hours, 22 minutes, and 12 seconds. So when you click on that, <laughs> that CR Performers link there. Are you on there? That's the question. Let's find out. <laughs> we're going, we're going sure live right that. now. So Can't by the way, that. a few years ago, I actually emailed the Thunderbirds and I was like, can I please fly with you <laughs> And they said, well, you have to know somebody that knows somebody or you have to be in media. Well, guess what? We're in media now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so if you know someone that knows someone, I'm totally interested. You can get in line right behind me. Yeah. I could actually. All right. So I'm looking here. Look, there you are. Hey. Oh, look, he's, he's flying, guys. So you should all go to the air show. That's is a fantastic that your, show. People don't know this. Is though, that your new plane? Uh, that, the, that's the L-39 that, that um, I led the uh, F-18s with. That's in that, yeah. Um, But uh, most people don't know this, but the Utah Air Show, um, Warriors of the Wasatch, is one of the premier air shows in the entire country. Why is that? Um, The promoter does a really good job, um, and it's in a it's a great family activity, right? Um, And and the base supports it, the community supports it. Um, and they have done a really good job for a very, very long time. It's an idyllic setting. Um, and, um, people, because of the hospitality that's provided to the performers by the air show organizer, people love to come here Hmm. and perform here. And so they, and they, and they've obviously developed over time. Um, you know, air shows cost a ton of money. Um, but they've they've developed the sponsors to be able to bring in these these great acts, and they they do it um, year after year after year. That's every really other cool. year, why do they do it every other year? Because um, they're too busy traveling to other shows. Costs a lot of money. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> I, I think military shows have gone um, more and more to an every other year show because it's just more difficult to get sponsorship money. I, I went to that show like twenty years ago, probably long time ago so i went when i was like a baby and my dad and i stood under a jet and recreated our picture that we took when i was little when we went a couple years ago that's awesome yeah what's what's your favorite show that you've been to um if you can pick one i guess yeah you know so from a performer standpoint it's a different um it's a different experience and what makes it fun for us is the way that the air show the producers the the way they, they 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 take care of us. Right. Um, Hill does a great job. Um, that's always a fun show. They've got, you know, stuff for the performers. They, they put us in a nice hotel. They are, you know, making sure that our needs are taken care of from the time that we show up to the time that we leave. There are some air shows that you go to that you would think that they didn't even know that we existed. (laughs) And, and it's pretty frustrating. Uh, You know, you go to an air show and it's hot and you're there all day and they don't even have bottled water for you. Um, and they don't feed you. Well, this is a really, really demanding thing that we're doing. Um, and it requires a ton of focus. And the more that you have are distracted by things like going and, you know, getting your own, uh, and this sounds kind of bad, but if you've got to go, you know, get in a car and drive and go get your own lunch and worry if I'm going to make it back in time, if the line's going to be too well, if long. You're in a town you don't know, that's a lot more. That's exactly right. Than you'd think to have to fit. Well, I don't even know where anything is. I got to go find right. something. Right. And so, you know, when we show up, we're there to do one job and that's to, perform safely. Right. And so anything that distracts from that is, is a hassle and it's actually, it's, it's decreasing safety margins too. Um, and so the shows that understand that the shows that take care of it and 
frankly, why do people come to air shows? They come to air shows to see us fly. You know, you'd think that they would always want to be making sure that everything's taken care of so that we can do our job well. Um, so that's where we look at it. And Hill does a great job. Um, the Truckee Air Show um, out in California does a fantastic job. Um, there's a lot of shows across the country that do a really, really good job. So I don't know that I could pick one favorite, but Truckee, last year, Truckee and, um, and Tri-Cities Air Show, uh, they do it concurrent with the unlimited hydroplane racing on the Columbia river. Oh, wow. So they, they'll do a, you know, a couple of heats of the racing and then they'll bring us in to do a couple of air show acts and they intermingle it all day long. And it's really co- cool for us as, you know, pilots to see this other kind of, you know, quote unquote extreme sport going on, um, and be able to kind of participate in that and watch that and be a part of that whole experience. And again, the, pro- the producers take really, say, really good care of it. That's crazy to coordinate that. Yeah, it is. It's just all, t- you know, it's all timing, but, um, it's fun and, and it's fun because you're flying over the river and you've got a crowd line in both, both sides, which is very unique. Usually you have a crowd on one side. Um, but in this case, you know, we've got a very pretty narrow box to fly in. So it makes it challenging. Um, and the crowd on both sides is, is a fun thing to do. Hmm. So how, how does it talk, talk a little bit about when you get involved into an air show and you're going to be a pilot, how does all the planning go into what you guys are doing? Do, do you plan that yourself? Does the air show say, this is what we want you to do? You have to interact with these other planes. How does that all kind of come together? That's a good question. So, um, everything that we do at an air show is choreographed. Um, or should be. Um, (laughs) So um, we basically fly the same show every time, every place we go, because that's the only way to keep it safe and predictable. Because every show that you go to has got a different environment. You're at a different altitude. You got different, um, what they call density altitude. The plane's going to perform a little bit differently. Um, and so just paying attention to the differences at the different places and different kind of times and environments that you're flying in, um, to know how the plane's going to behave because, you know, we're not operating with huge margins. We're pretty low to the ground and we can't afford to make mistakes. So, um, that's, you limit the mistakes that you make by flying the same sequence, every time at every show if you're going to make a change you do it in the off season um and you know spend time practicing up at higher altitude make sure you got it all buckled down before you bring it down low and then you get that routine rehearsed to where you go to a show you know exactly what you're doing um there have been some accidents in the industry where they do what are called squirrel cages um and that's basically unrehearsed hey we're going to get in the box and we're going to do things you know um side by side and not hit each other um that kind of went through a phase um and it's kind of come and gone because there were some accidents that were related to that and so it's it's not as popular it's still a thing that you can do at an air show, but it also requires um, the pilots to have done it before together outside of the air show environment. Because um, while, you know, accidents are what the news agencies tend to focus on, right? Um, It's bad for business um, to, you know, to be blunt about it. Aside from, you know, the human loss of life, it's just, it's not good for the business either. And so um, not only do we want to be safe and, you know, protect ourselves and and, uh, be kind, to, uh, you know, to our loved ones by coming home. um, We also want to make sure that, you know, this is something that we can continue to do. So that's how it's different from NASCAR. Because I think they encourage accidents in NASCAR. Well, it definitely is part of the spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. That's why two hundred thousand that people. That's why two hundred thousand people will show up at that Las Vegas Speedway to watch. 
one car crash if they can they can get it yeah yeah well the interesting thing about you know the difference in nascar right is typically even when there's these horrific crashes that the drivers walk away yeah 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 because there's so much well first off you know going 200 miles an hour in a car that's basically a giant roll cage with some fiberglass around it is a lot different than falling out of the sky in a giant tin can with you know no roll cage and even if i had a roll well, cage yeah parachute and, that's and, an, sk- and an instantaneous stoppage I mean, yeah that's, just, yeah. that's well, what gets us even if you have a roll cage they don't stand yeah, up it's so not well the falling that, that kills you it's the landing <laughs> that's, yeah <laughs> maybe it's your guts fall out here's the thing that was the scariest part of doing the aerobatic flight was going through all of the like safety stuff because you're thinking oh my gosh this could really happen so do you, <laughs> do you actually wear parachutes yeah. when you go up in those yep Wow, so you utilize the parachute? Strapped in. What about the parachute? Have you ever had to utilize the parachute? Uh, um, No. Thankfully, no, we have not. And my rule is I never jump out of a perfectly good airplane. So you've never skydove. See, that's what I say to these guys all the time. Why would you jump out of a perfectly functioning airplane? Yeah, and I say all the time that I need to do that. It's actually something that I I should do, Um, (laughs) but I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, Maybe there's some, you know, subliminal kind of psychological thing going on. If I was a pilot, I would never want to try to parachute out of an airplane. Yeah, um, I I, I think it would be horrifying. (laughs) You have someone strapped to you, you'll be okay. So when you fly... That might be the horrifying part. (laughs) (laughs) When you fly in an air show, do you have people here locally that that work with you that that fly with you in the air show, or is it usually just you by yourself? Yeah, it's usually just me by myself. So the, um, the... formation demonstration teams that you see that most people know, like the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels and Snowbirds and the, um, the Brightling team. Um, that takes a tremendous effort, um, almost full time. Um, there are some civilian f- formation demonstration teams, and I would actually love to be a part of that. That kind of blends all of my passions together. Um, but it takes a, you know, a select group of pilots that you're all comfortable with, that you all think the same way. Um, and you all got to have, you know, be close enough to practice and do all that. And it's just really, really hard to pull, to pull off. I got to imagine that is, that is tough to, to do in any kind of big group. So, but yeah, so, so, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the pilot. Sometimes we'll, there's a couple other pilots that'll fly the plane, um, you know, like to and from the show. If I've got multiple shows in multiple locations, they'll pick the plane up and move it and then I'll fly home and then fly back to the next show. That only happens, you know, occasionally though. Usually I fly the airplane to the show and fly it home. So I know it's a silly question, but is that how they get all these planes to the shows? Yep. I mean, like the old, how cool would that be just to, just to see them Watching even Watching the people arriving. That'd yeah, be that'd awesome. just be cool. Cause, so like, like I said a few years ago when the, uh, the Memphis Bell was here, I saw, we saw it flying around the valley. My dad was in one of those flights. And that was so cool seeing that thing because it does not fly very high. And I'm sure it was just for, for what they were doing. It is so cool, and just the sound of it, and it's just it just gives yeah, you chills seeing that thing too. fly over. Yeah, the um, one of the cool, cool things to do that's not as well known is to go to an air show on a Friday, um, or it typically like you can't get into an air show, but you can go by the base and you see all the planes arriving. You get to see the practice show because we all do a rehearsal show on Friday, um, and then you get to see all the planes that are coming in that are typically on static display. They're f- coming in either Thursday or Friday. I know then, where I'll be June 22nd. There you go. <laughs> and, then they, and then they all typically all leave um, between the end of the show on Sunday and about 10 a.m. on Monday morning. 
And then it's back. It seems like a ghost town because everybody's gone. So another kind of question only because I don't know. How does that work with airspace? Meaning there's commercial planes, there's planes all over. How, how does that work to be bringing in all of these planes? So do you have to like, I don't know, set up a time and coordinate when you can come and go. It and depends on the show At military shows. Um, you have to have special clearance to get onto a military base as a civilian. Right. So, um, we file forms that the, that they get in advance, say, Hey, this is, you know, all of our forms to make sure that we're, we're legit. And you're not a terrorist. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, then we get a window in which we're going to arrive and we're assigned a number. Um, the funny thing about getting assigned that number is I've given a number every time I fly to a military base. I've never once been asked for it um, <laughs> because, you know, there's just not 27 T6s coming into the air show. Right. right. So um, they know. That'd that, be cool, though. Yeah, they, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so they know who's coming. And, you know, but um, th- there's a you just you work into the national airspace system and they all work together. Um, so. Some of it's at a, at a military base. It's all kind of coordinated and you have windows that you fly in and out um, at non-military air shows. Um, you just say, hey, I'm, I'm planning to be there around two o'clock. And you, if you get there at three, you get there at three. Um, and it's just not a big deal. So and, you know, if you think about it, there's 10 or 15, maybe at like Hill, there's 20 or 25 airplanes that are coming in for the show that are not military airplanes. Um, it's not a ton. Right, yeah, and it's and not, a, not a real common thing. Like you can't even fly over hill unless you have clearance. So right, they'll they'll shoot you down. Except on the weekends, <laughs> when they're closed. <laughs> oh, can we talk a little bit about your school and what you offer up at Heber? Because you have you teach people how to fly too. Yeah. You don't just yeah fly and restore cool planes. Yeah, so Pilot Makers, uh, it, we started Pilot Makers um, about two years ago. And um, it was born out of the kind of combination of my passion to to teach. I love to teach. Um, and I saw a real void in flight training where we're not teaching people how to fly airplanes in the entire flight envelope anymore. Um, and it's causing problems. There's the number one uh, cause of fatal accidents in general aviation is what's called loss of control in flight. Um, and it's actually the number one convi- uh, killer of uh, in commercial aviation as well. Um, if you think back to Air France, Air Asia, the, the plane that they lost probably about four years ago, Colgan Air was the first one that really got everybody's attention. That was the, in Buffalo, New York. You remember that mm-hmm. probably 10 years ago now. Um, so they started having these accidents. Um, and there was a common thread, and that's that these planes were losing control in flight, and the pilots were unable to, to recover a perfectly good airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's simply because, uh, and they thought, you know, they go through all what, what they call this upset recovery training in simulators. The problem with a simulator is it doesn't create the startle effect, and it doesn't create the physiological effects of being upside down. The first thing you want to do as a, um, the first thing you want to do as a, um, pilot, when you get upside down, is you think, I want to go up. Well, what are you trained to do when you are in an airplane to go up? You pull back. But if when you're, you're upside, upside down, down, you're pulling into the ground, right? <laughs> so there's all kinds of variations of this scenario, but um, between that and losing control of the airplane when you get slow, when it was about to stall, um, there's a really big void in our training because we've relied on technology, of the airplane we've relied on the new you know, upgraded avionics and making planes more spin resistant. And so we've basically said to people, just don't do that. Well, that's great. 
until you do accidentally do it, now what, right? And so we have, we, we take people and expose them to all these mistakes intentionally in a controlled environment so that they can experience them, see them, and realize there's actually a simple way to recover. In about three and a half hours of flight training, we take you from pulling back on the yoke when you're upside down to learning the train response that is going to minimize your altitude loss, minimize your airspeed gain, and get you back upright and flying um, pretty quickly. And it's almost a non-event. And it's frankly a lot of fun um, because you realize that the airplane's actually going to fly just fine if I don't completely mess it up. And so we do that in our school. Um, and that's it actually started, the school started just doing that type of training. But then after the after the tenth person came to us and said, "Hey, do you do normal flight training?" We're like, "Okay, let's go find an airplane and do normal flight training because there's obviously <laughs> demand." And now there's this huge pilot shortage um, that's expected to last for 20 years. So many flight schools in Utah are doing extraordinarily well because it's a great career path right now um, and is going to be for the foreseeable future. Um, you're going to the airlines within you know two or three years. You're, you're getting on with a regional airline. Um, because they are starving for pilots. There's a couple of airlines that have gone out of business or have stopped flying because they just simply can't get enough pilots to fill why, the, why the is seats. That? Um, a couple of things. Um, air travel has increased, so the demand is higher, um, and a lot of pilots are, have, you know, you're forced to retire at 65, and a lot of pilots are retiring right now, and they just cannot, between those two things, they can't fill the void fast enough. The military didn't make enough pilots that quit. Well, and that was a huge part of the commercial pilot for well, the baby boom old. is all retiring, and that's the age that's all sixty-five and up. That's right. Baby boomers, and their generation's a lot bigger than ours. And, you, and the military has a huge problem right now in retaining pilots. Yeah, because they get paid so much outside of the military, so the military spends all the money to train them, and then pilots can go make you know six figures flying for Delta. Uh, so it makes total sense. And and all those pilots that were in the commercial Air Force are from, you know, the Vietnam War, from the Korean War, from learning how to fly in those conflicts. Maybe not the Korean War. That's kind of old. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but to learning learning to fly. I mean, think of how many people got drafted and got trained to be pilots in the Vietnam War. I mean, that's that, that's a huge number that, you know, now they're all getting a retirement age. Yep. No, that's absolutely true. And um, the flying job in the military is becoming less fun too. So they're they're it's you know is it because it's all electronic and it's, a, it's yeah it's a little part of that. So I talked to the um, at the Tri Cities Air Show that I mentioned earlier. I t- I talked to the F twenty two demo pilot um, Rock call sign Rock, and um, he said he was in his second year. So there, it's a two year tour, and um, I said, so what are you going to do after this? And he said, you know what, I think I'm getting out. I looked at him. I said, dude, you are flying the most amazing airplane in the sky anywhere. It's the best job ever. He's like, you're right. Flying the jet is incredible. It is so fun. But when you start a mission brief two days before and your mission, you got mission planning for a couple of days, then you brief the mission, the mission, you go fly, you know, for four hours you go fly the sortie which is going to take you probably two hours you know ish right and then you debrief for another 12 hours it kind of sucks all the fun out of it 
because there, there's so much into the data collection now because there's all these data points that the planes are collecting all the time. And so they are debriefing every single move. So let's say you take four F-22s out um, and you're going to fight 16 bad guys, right? Well, there's a ton of maneuvers, a, a ton of, you know, you've got to shoot 16 airplanes and every move by every airplane is analyzed. And all the data from every every one of those things is analyzed because all that data then goes back into the, the database and makes them able to fight smarter. So it makes sense, but it is it is taken all the fun out of being a, even a you know fighter pilot in an F twenty two. And so these guys are just not sticking around like they used to. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, makes that's, a lot of sense. So they're having to figure out a way to fix it. So how do people get a hold of you if they want to become a commercial airline pilot? <laughs> uh, Pilotmakers.com is our website. Um, that's the easiest way to do it. Or if they want to fly in a warbird. Uh, yep. And that's Utah War, warbirdadventures.com. Um, so, yeah. So getting back to the, the pilot training. So that's why we started it. And now, you know, it's grown to where we do the upset recovery training and the, and the private um, and spend training in the private pilot's license. Um, and it turns out that that's also a big advantage for um, professional track pilots when it comes to their resume. They're flying true high-performance aircraft, and they're doing these things that very few flight schools do. Well, when it comes, your resume comes across an HR desk, you go in the short stack because you've got this training and experience that most other applicants don't have. Because you didn't just fly, you know, a crappy little Cessna, just normal, like, up and down and navigate <laughs> around the clouds. That's right. Yeah, you fly a variety of different aircraft, true high-performance aircraft, aerobatic aircraft, and you get exposed to these situations that most pilots haven't been exposed to yet. Um, and it makes you uh, it makes you a very um, viable candidate. So when an accident happens somewhere in, in a smaller plane or, or, you know, a non-commercial plane, do they share that data with with people like you who are teaching people how to fly? Like, like we had the the accident that happened over the su last summer in Butterfield Canyon, where you know the plane went down and and it was just burnt. Right. Like all there was 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 a shell of a plane, and and a teacher and a student died. When something like that happens, when it's that specific thing, which is your exact profession, do they share something like that with you to say, this is what happened and this is how it could have been prevented or this is what happened and, and we don't know why it happened or... Is that something that's shared amongst you to, to help you guys all learn? That's a great question. And the answer is yes. The NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, um, they send to all fatal accidents, they will send out an uh, investigative team uh, and try and recreate the accident and determine what happened uh, and give you probable causes. And so you learn from reading the reports. Um, those reports, you know, they take a while to, to come out. But we're always, as you know, Pilots, whether we're or whether we're a flight school or um, you know we're a recreational pilot, um, part of being a good pilot is reading those accident reports and learning from them and saying you know what happened and what can I do to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. Um, we don't have the data collection in our airplanes that you have on a seven forty seven, for example. There's no right. black boxes, um, so it's there's a little bit more guesswork involved. Um, but typically, accidents um, in, uh, of light aircraft these days are, are caused by two things. One I, that I mentioned, loss of control in flight, right? It's the number one killer by a factor of 10 to one. It's so a big deal. that's pilot error. That's pilot error. And it's typically from a lack of experience or lack of training for that um, or a lack of currency. You know, people fly every three or four months and then they're just not proficient in the airplane. Um, 
And so um, it's, it's that and then it's judgment, right? It's flying when they shouldn't be flying because of bad weather or, you know, they had external pressures or um, the airplane wasn't quite right and they chose to fly anyways. So a lot, there is a lot, there's nobody there as a private pilot uh, or a non-commercial pilot to tell you, hey, maybe you shouldn't fly today. It's you. It's all on you, right? So all that decision making is on the individual, um, which is why we there's this list of things, human factors that you should consider before every time before you fly, um, and then that's part of the aeronautical decision making process that we teach that all schools you know teach. But people are people, right? And so they get done with their training, and then they're like, ah, I got this, and they're not paying attention, and they're not staying proficient, and they're not doing the things that they should be doing, and then all a bunch of circumstances combine, and the next thing they know, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but so um, it, it really is um, up to the individual more than it is up to the National Transportation Safety Board or this governing body, but we do share information as much as we possibly can, yeah. Okay, one last question, and we'll let you go. So we ask all our guests. I'm having this. fun. <laughs> Good, <I'm> glad. <laughs> um, you've been in Utah for about ten years. You said. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you would tell someone visiting the state that they should do before they leave? Oh, that's an awesome question. Um, so, by way of self promotion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say go on a warbird flight up at Heber. Um, the Wasatch is is a fantastic place. Um, it's incredible from the air. And, um, very few people get to see it and experience it in that way. So, um, that's from, you know, from the shameless self-promotion standpoint, (laughs) um, go to, go go to Utah Warbird Adventures. Um, aside from that, this state is so diverse and so wonderful and so many great outdoor activities. It's hard to pick just one. Um, but you know, the national parks in the South end of the state are, unbelievable um if you like to get outdoors at all you know pick one and go and you know what are there 12 or i mean there's so many in in (laughs) 13 (laughs) um and locally here uh the tempanogos cave Mm -hmm. is awesome um i love that in the winter time um the uh what do they call it up in uh, Midway? The ice, uh, the ice castle, ice castle. Yeah. That's also, that's also really cool. The Heber creeper is another, you know, great one. That's a great experience to take the Heber. I like creeper. It. These are all things that we haven't even heard before besides <laughs> Southern Utah. Well, we've talked about ice castles, but no one said that. Not Heber creeper, no. not temp cave. True. Yeah. I mean, those are all kind of fun outdoor things to do that, you know, we try and get around to with the family every now and again too. Before I have to know what kind of, people uh, besides myself who has a passion for the planes come to the fly in the warbirds like what do you see it's all kinds of people really there i I couldn't give you like one specific demographic we do get a number of people who come where the family has bought a ride for dad or for grandpa right i mean that's a fairly common theme which makes sense but outside of that it's there's no way for me to describe you know like to, for me to go to a marketing agency and say, okay, this is our demographic. It's impossible to do because it just runs the spectrum. It's just people have an interest either in a, the adventure of flight, the nostalgia of flight, um, or just the experience of being up in the air and, and having a scenic, you know, view, uh, which, you know, runs, it, it, it boils down to people that are willing to pay for the experience. 
is what it boils down to. And, and for as little as $150, you can come and go upside down in one of our airplanes, right? Or you can get in the, the T6 for, you know, $375. It sounds, it's, it's a lot of money, right? Um, but it's a fantastic once in a lifetime yeah, bucket they, list. Think experience. about the cost of something like skydiving or um, let's, let's, let's just gambling. Take, well, let's just take a, <laughs> let's just take a, a generic thrill ride, right? So you go to Lagoon, Lagoon $60 to get in and then to go on like what that catapult or their little skyline thing. I mean, that's and another, 30 that's another 30 bucks. to yeah. $50. So you're already at a hundred something dollars just for that. And, and that's garbage in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, right. If you so, compared the Alpine slide yeah. to an aerobatic ride in a World War II airplane. And well, even the bot, like what's the bobsled? That's like $25 on top of whatever you pay to get on to the Olympic well, park. Well, yeah, it's more than that. We got it at a discount because... Yeah, so summertime, the bobsled is 85 and then the wintertime, it's like 175 yeah. yeah, so it's even cheaper in the winter to go do a flight and go upside down on an airplane to go down on the, on the bobsled track. That's a so. good point. We're going to add that to our <laughs> marketing yeah. campaign. I like it. Well, I'd be careful because you're close to the Olympic Park there. So We fly over there all the time, actually. <laughs> and you, But you fly year-round, too. You do these flights. Yeah, we do. All the time. Yeah, yep. and Lagoon's closed in the winter, guys. So... Just saying. So just go to the <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for joining. Yeah, us. Thanks for having me guys. It's been a lot of fun. All right. That's going to do it for the show. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> your normal dad jokes are out today and you've got some good stuff coming out of your mouth. Tonight. <sighs> Jonathan would be so embarrassed. I think they all would be. <laughs> I was going to ask him if he if any of his kids complained about what he wears when he picks them up from school. Do you think Oh, the pilot do you no, think the cool. dog would have had any? No, no you just see him not. he's dapper and amazing. <laughs> I don't Again, he was so passionate like you could just in in everything he talked about he was just so excited to talk about it and that's not something you see If your dad Flew fighter pilot or fighter jets. I don't think you'd ever be embarrassed of him picking you up. For no, school. he could no, be like. Badass. She's like, Dad, why didn't you bring the plane? <laughs> just, he just brought the SUV. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again to uh, to Barry for joining us. That was a, a fantastic conversation. Um, we will be back next week with something. I'm sure. And then our hundredth. It'll be 99. Our hundredth episode. 99 bottles of uh, beer on the wall. <laughs> it's a special occasion for some reason. I don't know why. I honestly. still think we should celebrate 104. I think 104 makes more sense to celebrate, but 100 is that nice, even number. Like most shows don't make 100 episodes. Like most TV shows fell long before that. But that's like four seasons. That's because they can't see us. Or even more now, because <laughs> seasons are so much shorter. You know what we should do for Unless our Unless you're dancing with the stars, that's on like we should, season 700. Episode, we should do a Facebook Live. Like while we're recording. Uh, Jess knows how to make that happen. Uh, sure. We all know how to make that happen. You just turn it on. Whatever. We can do whatever. You know why we're still on the air for 100 episodes? Because nobody can see us, I just said. No, (laughs) because people can't cancel us. And (laughs) if no one listens, it doesn't mean that we stop doing this. Chris still hits post every Tuesday night. Yeah, I still do it. I still post it up. So 
Um, thanks for uh, finding us. If you like what you hear, please share it. Uh, again, you can go out and check out uh, the the aviation stuff. There's two different companies and websites. So Utah Warbird Adventures and Pilot Makers Flight School uh, are the two separate entities that, that you can reach out to. Uh, go fly around on a T-6 and then decide that you want to become a pilot and uh, join the uh, Pilot Academy there that they have. It's not an academy, but whatever. It should be. It could be. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at TNU Podcast. Uh, go to our website, thenewutah.com. We have an Instagram account now. Uh, just post pictures of old vibrators in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we should just like, we should make an album on our Facebook that's old vibrators. And like, we could get the one that I have, the one that you've sat on. <laughs> we could do it. I don't yeah, think like, two makes an album. It's the start of an album. Yep. It's we a can collection. put how many? We could do a whole collection of vibrators. We, we could have do people send their pictures You're to us. of old vibrators only. Yeah, yeah they have to, they have to be at least twenty years old. <laughs> Maybe older. Very old. No, no, no. older. They just totally look normal twenty years ago. I, no, no, that's not true. No. They change. I'm pretty sure 1990 style yeah. vibrator very different from even 2000 fi- even five years. They're changing. So <laughs> <laughs> Jess's aunt's offering to go get her vibrator for us. <laughs> She's gonna settle this dispute. She's got a 1983 model. <laughs> this one has a pull cord. <laughs> 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 <laughs>